Hey there, Stephen. This is Ineash. Hey, Ineash. This is Stephen. Stephen, at long last, we're almost at the end, and you have decided to be Stephen again. I'm kind of glad to see you see it. Oh, good. Well, that's really because I couldn't think of a clever name, so... Don't need to think one every single week. No, we'll see if uh, anything strikes me with the next episode, but... So what is it that we do here on this episode of Creative Things? Yeah, this is our podcast, Not Everything is an Epilogue, where you and I sit down to discuss Alexander <laughs> the, the epilogue to Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle. This is an epilogue to a book that you can buy on Amazon right now. It's also available in audiobook. There's uh, links in our show notes. Uh, in those show notes, there is also links to Alexander Wales' Patreon. So you can support him directly if you prefer that. And also a link to our Patreon. So you can uh, support us for the last two episodes here that we're about to do. It'll be funny if, like, by the time he gets done putting all the books online, like to sell, he, you know, wipes all of the websites that have it of the content and then sells the epilogues for like $40, like 10 times the cost of the, of the book <laughs> that, I mean, it's a, a common thing to do for people who write series to put the very first book in the series at a super cheap price, like a couple bucks, three bucks, maybe four uh, on the outside. And then with each progressive book, increasing the price by uh, you know, a couple dollars, maybe $3. You should have done that for this. I think the first two were four bucks each. Well, maybe the next one will move it up to six. Hopefully it's worth yeah. it. It really is. All right. We got some audience feedback. Feeping Creature uh, illuminated our um, ignorance on the candle of invocation. The Its core of an infamous D&D rules as written exploit where you use a lawful evil candle uh, to gate an Efreet, compel them via the gate to grant you three wishes, use one of the wishes to create another candle, and then use the other two wishes however you want. Nice. Infinite wishes. That's my kind of, my kind of thing. I think I mentioned this yeah. before way back in the day on the on the podcast when this was you know when i learned this was D stuff but the uh the, rel- the relativity railgun oh yeah that one yeah Pass- passing is a free action you just line up a bunch of muggles and it mm-hmm. starts whatever it is starts going fast real fast mm-hmm. <laughs> love it but very hard to set up much easier to set up this infinite wish thing apparently as long as you can find a candle of invocation you can even use one of your wishes for an easier relative rel- relativity railgun that's true just just an actual gun that you can hold that shoots things at relative speeds <laughs> perfect or relativistic speeds rather that's what i yeah i kept saying relative what did I, well, I can't remember what i was saying but i'm gonna say relativistic you throw your relatives in there and it shoots your relatives off that's yeah perfect nice all right uh on the discord people got to talking a little bit at least about the uh thespians and the way that a thespian can play anyone even someone in hell and they aren't actually feeling the play the pain they're just you know play acting someone feeling that pain and uh that this is a thing the thespian loves to do the thespian just like i love to act out any roles i can i will do it forever don't need to pay me or anything this is just my jam and thespian is like wait a minute it's a slave species all over again. Um, which I guess it is, isn't it? Wait, did you say uh, Spinagon or Thespian just then? Oh, sorry. Spinagon said that. Right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm skimming back through the text right now because I feel like the Thespian is non-sentient. But I can't remember if that was explicit or not. I mean, he's got to be smart enough to act out the role of a human. I mean... To know the things a human would say and how they would respond to things. Uh, I mean, I suppose, but smart in the context of like, I'm God and made a robot doesn't have to mean much, you know? Um, 
I think that gets dangerously into pea zombie territory and making the argument that like, oh, you could perfectly simulate someone who acts exactly like a human in all cases, but they don't have consciousness. So they're a pea zombie, right? Well, yeah, I think that's what that's explicitly what they might be. But because like if they can have fun and they're have we not rejected that argument as completely ludicrous? I mean, on anyone who sure like this is this is magic with gods. Okay. Well, all right. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like if 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 our universe had a god with you know unlimited power, making pea zombies would actually be super easy. You're just making I, them write papers about having experiences. I guess. I mean, then you would basically just be the p. You'd be playing the part of the thespian yourself using your god power, right? Uh, yeah. But you know, more like you'd be setting automata forward to do stuff. You wouldn't have to like do it actively. I'm talking right, like but supreme any automa- god. Any automata that can do all the things a, a you know human could do is, is conscious. Mm. Just like we are automata that do all the things that we do and we're conscious. I I, I mean, does the word magic mean nothing to you and Yash? <laughs> <laughs> my bad, my bad. Ma- magic takes <laughs> takes your reasons and and sound arguments and says fuck you. Um, okay, but that's that's my take. I I, I think also like that they there it's said in the um the whatever the previous chapter that they don't feel pleasure um and so at least they're not like house elf happy to carry out stuff they're just doing their business but but you know it it's uh if you squint it's a house species yeah yeah i don't even have to squint i just had to have someone point it out and then i was like oh yeah yeah that's that's correct well i i think it's a lot closer to actual roombas than it is uh to house elves but you know maybe I'm, I'm let's just put it aside because it's not a big deal oh yeah no that's fine i mean this this will be this is an eternal debate that this is unanswerable yeah are so p zombies on earth good pe- or bad. Pe- people people can't even settle that if there are p zombies are possible on earth right that's because people are so dumb right so since people started about that i feel like if we say that uh um you know are p zombies possible in magical fictional worlds uh that that might be an even harder debate to settle. So, okay. Well, uh, there was also, as predicted, uh, a lot of controversy. I guess split opinions on the ending. Uh, I don't know if the same thing went down on Alexander Wales' server, but with an ending like this, I think it's absolutely inevitable that people are going to either really like it or really dislike it, and uh, and that there will be a strong divide there. Uh, and yeah, we, we found that on our server as well. I copied a few of the things that were said. You want to just, uh, take turns reading them out? Yeah. I'll just, as a, you know, before we dive in, like, well, maybe it'll come up at the end. I I guess I wonder if people would have been annoyed no matter what, like people don't like their things coming to an end. Some, like some people had their favorite pet theories, you know, people were annoyed that Quarrel's Voldemort. People are, people would have been annoyed if he wasn't. Um, sure. But I mean, a lot of people also liked it. I remember yeah, Shower a lot, a lot specifically. Of people liked this too. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying that, like, I think I think endings in general, like where there's a mystery involved, people, uh, again, they, they have their favorite version of how they think things are going to go, and some of them will be wrong, and those people are discontented. No, I, I disagree. Uh, th- this this is a different. This is just a different level of of how an ending can be. This isn't just like being wrong about a mystery. This is like you know feeling betrayed by the author kind of level hmm uh i mean yeah i think i think my my general thing stands but i think that you you're right this might be kind of like 
uh, a different kind of category than just uh, whatever the mystery being different. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. So uh, you, you, I think you use the word betrayal because that's what uh, Kakulakayam said. Um, yes. I think the way I think I like the way it turned out, but the fact that we went through the whole story making predictions and s- suspending disbelief makes it feel like a betrayal. Yeah. And I, I meant to jump on because I saw you adding these notes a few days ago to the doc. I meant to jump on Discord and read some more of the like conversation, but mm-hmm. you were there. Can you elaborate on what that means as like a betrayal? Like, or I mean, because we we were, we were making predictions and suspending disbelief, mm-hmm. but that that was true no matter what ending we got. Like the only thing that maybe we were like, you know, kind of like alley-ooped on was who's the DM. Well, the, 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 (laughs) I, I don't know how to cross this bridge because apparently, uh, people on, on the one side, like just can't understand the people on the other necessarily. But (laughs) the, the point is whenever you're consuming any work of fiction, there's this implicit agreement between the creator and the consumer that, uh, we know this is fake, but we are going to treat it as if it's real for the st- sake of the story. And we're going to actually get involved in these characters' lives and and feel emotions. And th- th- there's this this compact, right? And if at the very end, the author is like, psych, these were just words that I was lying the whole time. None of it was real, you stupid noob. How, how could you believe that this, these are real people that you should care about? Like, it, it, that, it, I know that's not literally what happened, but... You know, that, I was going to say, if that was the like. ending, I would have felt the word betrayal would have landed better. Um, right. But when you suspend your disbelief, that means you are literally accepting something as true, even though you know it is not, so that you can enjoy it. And, you know, that's part of the reason you make predictions in the story. You're like, based on what I know about this world and how I model these people, like, what could be happening? What's what's going on? I wonder if this is the thing. And at the very end, be like, there is no thing. It's just a story. Uh it's you know it makes me feel like why was i spending my disbelief at all if uh it turns out that this is is what's going to be done to me at the end because it was fun it made you feel stuff like yeah but, i mean it was I, still great like I, 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 everybody's I think, agreed that the story itself is fantastic yeah I, like that I, I think i i hear what you're saying it's just i it's funny like i'm not trying to be obstinate i i think this comes up with me once in a while i'm i'm not deliberately being obstinate i'm just stupid um like so <laughs> I don't so think you're stupid no, no, but here, here, well hold on to that because here's what i'm about to ask like yeah. at the end of a lot of books um especially the handful of web serials i've read the author will you know at the very end have like a paragraph that said hey thanks for reading my book this was great hope yeah. you had fun that also yeah, yeah. breaks immersion what you mean this is I a mean, book how could you um no, it doesn't now i know what you're saying immersion because it's not over. in text yeah okay it breaks immersion the same way that like looking away from the page breaks immersion if you're reading a book. Like that's that's not breaking immersion. Okay, okay, because I is it in your lead up to like why it felt like you know uh, an, a not fun alley oop was that or whatever usurping of expectations, yada, whatever you want to call it. Um, you had said uh, that when the the audio or the author turns to the to the reader and says, you know, hope you liked or whatever. They, there were characters you moron, um, mm. and I'm like, they do that you know, in the way that they don't actually do that, but they do that uh, whenever they talk to the audience at the end of stuff too. Um, but I, but I understand that that if it's in the story versus not in the story are different. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like, I mean, there's, and there's a way I think to go more meta than just turning to the reader and being like, hi reader, cool book that we're reading here. Right. Like something 
something done in a way that kind of hints at the reader that maybe the world you're living in isn't quite real either. Or uh, or maybe consider the fact that uh, you are simulating this world inside your head. And once you stop thinking about it, maybe these people cease to exist. You know, something more more along that level of of taking it into the real world with us would be a an intrusion into our world that I could appreciate, uh, like making me question my reality or making me question how I create other realities is really cool. Whereas just being like, hey, you know, it's just you and me here. I've been lying to you for all these words. Mm. Let's get back to the lies, right? Like that, that was that was no fun at all for me personally. Okay. I mean, again, I, I respect everyone's opinion and their read on stuff, but I got to put in, uh, I don't know if you want to read the other uh Kako Lukayam uh, entry here. Uh, it doesn't quite. Actually, this is. Let's put that at the end because it is not. Uh, it is not relevant to this particular thing. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, I guess we can skip Wes's, Wes's thing unless you want to hit it because it's basically the same thing. No, I, his is the one I wrote a reply to, like in the. Oh, comments. okay, okay. Uh, well, then I will read Wes's comment. Wes says the lame thing about the DM reveal is that it's not a reveal. We already knew everyone was a character in a book. We were expecting and hoping for a different explanation of why the world operates the way it does. I think I entirely disagree. Like, yeah. so we we knew that every character in the book was a character in a book, just like we know that about every other book, right? Mm-hmm. But to turn out for that to actually be the case is what makes this different is that's what makes it actually reveal right like the fact that we didn't expect this and that it it may have surprised people like that means that it was revealed and and you know you know what i mean it's like i think i sort of know what you mean that or is he saying that the characters in the story were aware that like they were in a story but no not that i think he means it on the literal level like like i was meaning it too well i mean because the thing is like most characters in most stories aren't aware that they're in some sort of story slash narrative. They haven't met the author, you know, mm-hmm. um, or the, the God of the universe, whether it's the dungeon master or the author or whatever. Um, like I, I think that so, so to, so to say that we knew that, you know, they were all characters in books. Uh, I, I think that do, do you hear what I'm saying? Like that's true of literally everything that we watch and read, but yes, for that to be woven into the story itself makes it unique. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. And that, that's, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. yeah, it's a good take, too. All right. Uh, LHC says, I do feel like perhaps more people would react to the metafictional DM reveal better if June reacted to it himself. More, or if June reacted to it himself, more like a sapient human being. Like, I feel like June's, um, no thank you, I'm not a fictional character, I have qualia, just going to ignore all that information moment is like, whatever the opposite of a holy fucking shit you just turned into a cat <laughs> excuse me while my brain, ex- brain explodes a lot moment is i wonder if that's true um that we that people would have liked it better if june like what do you mean holy shit um because i i'm imagining him doing that and a that's just not really his style like i feel like you know that that would be like harry doing that at the end of methods of rationality not just the, like the you know falling over you turned into a cat that should be impossible like hmm. you know harry's seen some shit by the end of the story uh um, okay right june by the end of this has seen some shit you know he, he talked with god he met his dead friend like you know he, he traveled to earth like hmm. i mean so it, you know okay so you're the author of the story like first of all i don't believe you and second of all i'm not that interested if you're if you're you know if you're actually right i 
I think that is a perfectly in-character reaction for June. And if he had like fallen over and, you know, babbled like Harry did when Professor McGonagall turned into a cat, I think that people, at least I would have been surprised. Okay. You hear what I'm saying? I guess maybe, maybe I at this point we're just defending saying. every single position. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I do hear what you're saying. I think maybe, I think that's probably fairly accurate because June does not have any respect for the DM really. Uh, and he, he, I think he dislikes the DM the same way the DM disliked him and uh, is willing to just entirely dismiss everything and be done with it. But like, you know, just give me the fucking keys already. I don't care what words you have to say. Uh, but, you know, I I would have found it far more interesting if June did have a more coming to Jesus moment and really interrogated this. But, eh, you know, that's that's not the story Alexander wanted to write. So that's fine, too. I, I hear what you're saying. I guess th- that'd be interesting. Maybe we can find time to talk about that at some point. But like what it would look like for the for the DM to try to prove that to June. The DM doesn't even have to try to prove anything to June. The DM can just write June as believing it because the DM is literally Alexander Wales. I I already hated the ending (laughs) or this particular reveal. So I I don't think I would hate that at all. I would be like, uh, oh, this is really interesting that June is actually like, you know, the story of what if Kratos wakes up on your screen and starts talking to you and being like, hey, can you get me out of this video game? And us telling him like, no, we literally can't. If you're in the PlayStation, there's, there's nothing to it, man. There's, there's no way for you to physically be in this universe at all. Like that could be an interesting, interesting conversation, an interesting chapter. Yeah, you know, maybe and like him having to come to grips with that existence. I have a hypothesis on this because I have, like, you know, in the thirty seconds I spent imagining it, all the versions where the DM tries to like explain to June, you know, you're a character in a story. I'm writing a book, and I put myself in it to talk to you. Like he says that in June kind of, you know, whatever has the reaction he does. But I think all the ones where like he tries to argue with him about it. Um, like, I think that I'm trying to find the uh, um, the phrasing that the DM used. But he, he basically said, look, I tried to explain this to you a bunch of times and it was impossible. What I what I think Alexander might be saying there is I tried to write a version of this where he argues with June and they all mm-hmm. sucked. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense yeah that said i tried to imagine one in 30 seconds and i'm not alexander wales level good so maybe he this is the way he wanted to do it but um yeah. may, maybe his beta reader or you know his own internal critic was just like no this this isn't gonna land let's just that's not the part i want to focus on anyway i want to focus on june getting the keys and whatever right um mm-hmm. but yeah um let's see uh, I, I will say also, uh, before we go on to this next uh, bit, uh, that LHC uh, has, in the spoilers channel, the most awesome alternate interpretation of what is really happening with June and the DM and the Longstairs and Arab. And it is fucking epic, and it is my headcanon now because it was so fucking cool. Like, if we have a post-show retrospective or something, I almost want to invite... Uh, invite LHC on and have her just explain the whole thing to you because it's, it's really, really cool. Cool. I'm super into it at the very least, uh, pin it in the channel. And mm. I feel like I'm probably clear to read the spoiler channel, but I'll still wait until we finish the book. So <laughs> I think you're all clear to read it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, like at this point, I'm not, I'm not invested in any more like mysteries. Right. So yeah. I, I don't think there are spoilers left. Um, no. Cool. All right. Well, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Cool. 
Uh, David Greer says that I am a simple person who doesn't engage with a lot of metafiction and the whole character in a novel thing was novel to me, gave me things to think about, reframed the entire story in a cool twisty way, making it click into place. I just actually can't think of any other ending that could possibly trump everything in the preceding story other than bringing the meta narrative to the last step, other than bringing the meta narrative, the last step into the real world. Uh, I wanted to point this out because I, I pulled out two things where uh, people were like, I didn't like the ending because I also kind of didn't. But importantly, there David Greer was not the only person like this. There were quite a few people that were like, actually, this ending was really good. And I really liked this ending. And I'm on Steven's side. This thing rocked. And uh, I, I definitely wanted to highlight that because it's not sure i have my opinions and sometimes i can be kind of strongly vocal in them but uh, a lot of people really did like this and i think that's really important because oftentimes good art is art that has uh strong reactions both ways and it's much better to have strong good reactions and strong bad reactions than just to have kind of a universal meh from everybody because mehs get forgotten that's a good point people will be arguing about this forever and i also like that uh david put it the way that i did uh, that it was novel to him or, and it was, it was, I said it was novel to me as well. And I used the word novel on purpose. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, you know, you said that, you know, you have whatever harsh opinions or strong ones that you, you said too strong. And I'm like, I just wanted to let you know that you, you very clearly pull your punches and you're allowed to have your takes. Like, right. you know, if, if something doesn't land for you, you know, like, and I mean, I think that maybe, I don't think he held back that much, but like, you know, the hell arc was, was, we both agreed that was disappointing. Um, yeah. and, uh, I think that when we talked about it, you were like, yeah, I, I really didn't like, you know, I, I think you like, maybe you started on a, like a polite kind of, you know, let's play the middle of this vibe. Um, and then, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, when I agreed <laughs> I with you, you're like, way. you're like, oh, good. Um, well, I think when I agreed with you, you're like, oh, good. I, I don't have to like worry about, you know, disagreeing with Steven then. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I think we're allowed to disagree on this. I mean, it's I, I, I basically said the same thing as David is like, I haven't read anything else that ended like this. And so like it, it wasn't uh, sullied for me. Um, yeah. I think that uh, in fact, Shoefish did something basically the same um, mm-hmm. that they managed to avoid all other work that went that far meta. Oh, except for about two. Um, so it wasn't a tired gimmick, um, but like they, they, they go on to explain, cause you know, we haven't gone on to like retrofit, you know, here's the DM and here's the motivation to like all of our discussion of what we thought was happening the whole time. Mm-hmm. But like Airbus therapy for June was always, you know, one of our leading guesses. Yeah. Um, but they, they said that I still maintain that Airbus therapy for June was not viable because, you know, traumatizing, traumatizing your patient as part of a structured healing process, is just not the place you want to go. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Um, you know, granted this, this is always, this was clearly an unorthodox therapy from the beginning. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unclear like what kind of therapy they could get by, you know, being sexually assaulted by a super powerful angry house. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was going to say having Fen killed and going to hell, but those actually both are pretty easily therapeutic like if you want to <laughs> if you want to just say you're allowed to traumatize the person um mm-hmm. but let's see uh oh want to grab that last paragraph from shoefish too yeah the concept of levels of reality and their ethical significance was such a strong theme in the book that taking it any place other than the maximum meta would have been a cop-out i like that 
that's that's fun. It's like no, no, this this is this is the good ending because if they hadn't go- if Alexander hadn't gone for this, it would have been you know it would have been some weak tea. You need you need to come all out and be like, no, yeah, we're going full meta, so meta, even this acronym. <laughs> I agree, but still, I think you could have gone. That is not maximum meta. You could have gone one step more meta in the case of like, are we just being simulated in the in the imagination of a much higher being that is reading a book about us? Would have been, uh, you know, a, a, a step up even above that, right? Yeah, but we're reading this book, so like the, in in the in that hypothetical, somebody'd have to come down to talk to the DM. And say, actually, I'm the god of the universe, and I wrote you. Yeah, it could be just, you know, hinted at somehow. Hmm. I mean, the fact that, you know, the DM said I'm gone, and we're getting an epilogue is not the weakest clue for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we I didn't mention this in the previous week's episodes, but uh, did you ever play the original Max Payne? Um, is that the one where you get the, like, you have a button that's basically, like, attack dog? No, that's the one uh, that introduced bullet time into video games. Oh, um, f- maybe. It was it was a fantastic game, uh, in large part because of you know it introduced bullet time into video games, but uh, also the uh, the story was just fucking top notch. It was a moody noir movie that we were in basically, and uh, there was an intense uh, meta moment one point where uh, Max is dosed with some uh, experimental street drugs or, and uh, he, he, you know, he starts hallucinating. And one of the things that he hallucinates is that he's a character in a video game. And hmm. uh, also all the cutscenes between uh, levels that you play are done in a graphic novel style. And then he also hallucinates that maybe he's just a character in a graphic novel with, you know, his life only existing in individual painted frames and words uh, are, are literally written near his head. And he's like, this is the worst thing I could possibly imagine. And I was like, this is so fucking cool. That's funny. So that was, yeah, that was a hell of an awesome, like fourth wall break meta moment that really worked on a number of levels. I would definitely uh, have remembered if I played that. I played one that it was like on the PlayStation or PlayStation two. And some boss was like, okay, I'm going to freak you out by reading your memory, like by reading your mind, set your, set your controller down. I'm also going to telekinesis. And he was like, I'm, I'm moving your controller. And then like the, the boss would read off some of the games in your, um, on your memory card. Was this uh, one of the metal gear solid games? Maybe I it's, it's been since the 2000 or the, since the PlayStation or PlayStation two era, I can't quite remember, but, uh, it was, um, anyway that was like a kind of fun you know sort of meta thing um yeah but it it wasn't uh an author an authorial insert they did do that actually at the end of the matrix video game uh oh did they yeah it was actually awesome and in my memory the graphics were great i'm sure they're hot garbage but (laughs) um so remember how the third matrix movie ends with a whatever jesus sacrifice yeah so when when you're playing through the game and you get up to that point the wakowski's uh, they come on and they're like, they look like Lego block characters kind of, I think. Um, mm. And so like, they look worse than all the other characters in the game, but they're like, all right, so that would be a boring end to a game, right? How about you, you guys want to fight a big monster? So instead <laughs> all the Smiths like run into each other and climb on top of each other to like make a giant, you know, uh, Uber agent Smith, okay. like the size of a skyscraper. And mm-hmm. you fight that as Neo. 
Like, okay. So, so they come on and they're like, okay, yeah. So that's, that's how our, our story ended, but that would make for a good game. Um, cool. So I, that's not quite the same thing as writing themselves into the game. You know, like if, if the Oracle was the Wachowskis, that'd be one thing maybe. Yeah. Um, but they, they did come in and say, look, you know, we're changing the story to mm-hmm. uh, better accommodate this medium. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think, I think these things should be done in a fun way. Um, yeah. But I, I hear what people are saying. Um, I, I, I obviously enjoyed it. I'm trying to think of like, I, I tell you what, I'll give it some earnest effort between now and the next episode and think of like how I would have, like if, if, uh, if it had gone differently, what, what I might, what I'm trying to say, I will try to outline a version in my head, an alternate ending, like an alternate reveal that I would have enjoyed. Oh, I mean, I don't think you need to, if you enjoyed this one, but I, I but it, it would just be good, you know, mental exercise. Cause I'm curious, like I, I enjoyed this one and like, what am I trying to say? Um, I don't know. I think, the, I think the fact that I, I, I can like be open about the fact that I didn't enjoy the hell arc means that I'm not just like blinded by, you know, my trying to be nice to the author or something. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's a legit concern. Uh, but I think that I, I think I'm in the clear for that, but mm. you know, if it had ended with like, whatever they zoom out and you know, it's not a snow globe on a bedside table, but it's like friends <laughs> playing D and D like, you know, so you get like a triple line break and it's like, and then June closed his little pamphlet that he, you know, the, the DM shield that he has and looked around the table at Raymer and all his friends. And, you know, they lived happily ever after granted it'd be better than that, but that, that could have worked. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just, just kind of spitballing here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last yeah. uh, feedback. Okay. Uh, last feedback. Uh, Keiko, uh, Keiko Lahayam, uh this is later on, uh, says, consider an author as a person whose pen strokes can create and destroy. Even if Alexander Wales makes June a quote unquote author, he can only create and destroy what Alexander Wales allows to be written. The avatars stress heavily the importance of informed consent, but we are still able to read the, the inner thoughts of the people they encounter, even while we have no other evidence of informed consent. So I guess what Keiko is basically saying is that uh, June June isn't really the author. It's still Alexander Wales. Yeah. No, I mean, that's true. We were, I, I like that. And it's kind of funny to think about, you know, the fact that we can see into the people's heads. No, we weren't really reminded that permission. And like, in their, like, we can see into their mind. Like, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, like, oh, thank God they can't read my mind without permission. <laughs> right. Good. They yeah. won't think of all the, the flesh.txt thoughts I'm having. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, I I think that we always knew that, you know, I guess after the reveal and he says, here's the car keys, June. We always knew anything after that was going to be still Alexander writing it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that maybe that's why it's an epilogue. We talked about like why make this an epilogue rather than part of the actual story. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why, because it's it's diverging from the format of the rest of the book in that way. Uh, yeah, because Juden couldn't have written the epilogues, so it would be it would make a lie of the main story, I guess, if it was part of the story. Maybe, yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Hmm, okay. Well, I had fun with it. Um, I did too. Yeah. Let's get into these epilogues. I, I always have fun with the the feedback too, but. Yeah, uh, we can't spend all day on it because we got four chapters to cover, starting with two forty-eight. Princess, yay, princess! Exclamation uh, mark! Yes, the princess uh, decides that there will be no hedonic treadmill for the bacon. <laughs> that bacon, every single bite of bacon, will always be as good as the first bite of bacon. And I thought that's really cool 
But then I also thought, is that dangerous? Because the hedonic treadmill does have its purpose, even if it also sucks. So I don't know. That might be dangerous. If, if every bite is just as good as the first, maybe you'd never stop eating bacon. I mean... Maybe, but consider now that you don't have to exercise on the tre- you don't have to exercise on the treadmill because bacon isn't bad for you. <laughs> well, yes, but you know the hedonic treadmill is <laughs> slightly different. You don't you don't need the workout anymore. Bacon's bacon's not bacon's good for you now. I mean, you know when you're like you're really hungry and you want some bacon and the only thing you want is that bite of bacon and oh my god, it's so good, right? Yeah, they just. Describe- what if that was every bite of bacon? You wouldn't do anything but eat bacon, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, and I, I realize I'm. Uh, kind of fending my way around the question there. Um, <laughs> but also, I sent you a music clip that's 12 seconds that has to be played when we talk about amaryllis and bacon. Bacon pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. Bacon pancakes, that's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. All right, so June describes it as like, yeah, it stays hot and the taste doesn't go away and they're all good bites. Like th- there has to be some diversity even across like the same meal you know, even, even the same food so that you notice each one. Right. Um, so like, they're not all going to be the best bite of bacon he's ever had. They're all going to be great in you know, slightly different ways. Um, maybe, maybe you, in one of half a dozen different ways. You know what I mean? I sure. Do you get a, a sense of different, a diversity of tastes when you eat food? Uh, I like if it's the same thing, I, I, I might be a little, all right. So like, cause I don't, I basically don't, taste a lot of my food i try to conscientiously eat stuff like in a like sort of as like a mindfulness thing um but also like just to try and enjoy it more but like i'm also the kind of kid who you know like if you had like lucky charms some some kids would go straight and eat all the marshmallows rather than like the grainy bits you i would eat the grains first and then have mouthfuls of marshmallow at the end Mm, i know so bad maybe you don't like (laughs) this but you know it's so you ask if I do that with food. Yes, because I kind of deliberately set up each bite to contain all the components of the food I want it to have. Oh, nice. So like, you know, this morning I made uh, bacon and eggs, actually, or not bacon, uh, sausage and eggs, um, mm-hmm. rather than eight Lucky Charms because I'm trying to eat better. And mm-hmm. uh, each bite contained some egg and some sausage. Yeah. Like, you know, last the night- way it we, should be. Last night we had, but that's the thing is like, so they, they were all different. You know, some had the, the runny yolk on it, some didn't. Some had extra mm-hmm. pepper. Like I, I remember that about the meal. Like last night we had curry, and I try to mix everything so all the bites have all the stuff. I, I'm really describing my food eating process a lot, but point is, yes, I think I do, um, and I definitely would if it was the like a really really good meal. That's where I actually do sit down and like try to savor it, right? Okay. I mean, have you ever had like I don't know some six dollar plate of food that you're like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and actually enjoy this. Like I'm not gonna not gonna look at my phone. I'm not gonna whatever look around at the restaurant i'm going to sit there and enjoy this expensive plate of food did you say six six sixty okay sixty um all right we need to we need to get you out I and have you spend an irresponsible amount of, of money <laughs> on a single dinner and then like if, if, you, yeah. if, you, if you spend a hundred dollars on a plate of food you're like i'm gonna remember every bite of this for at least a year <laughs> <laughs> well i hope to never spend that much money on a single plate of food yeah i think even for the sake of science it's hard to justify the cost mm. Anyway, thanks for yes. indulging me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, yes, uh, we have agreed. It is very dangerous and no one should do that. <laughs> Fair. Uh, she also summarized the Amaryllis arc that we didn't get, uh, which was really cool. Uh, I enjoyed, you know, 
the summary and made me wish even more that we had gotten that. Yeah, it's interesting because we got the the cliff notes of this from her, mm-hmm. right? And all this is is like I guess two sentences per cliff note or per per bullet point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I liked it, but I don't know if it told me anything I didn't know. I went into a little bit more detail. I guess I, I liked some of the the new things that we found out in there. I'm skimming through it again because um, I read this all. I think Tuesday night last week. Um, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, she talks. We do get a long. The, I think the longest paragraph is about the outer reaches, which we did want to know the most about. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. It was fun, uh, and I, I just liked kind of like the beginning and end too, where she's just like, if you're reading this, I'm dead, and she outlined like the mm-hmm. three ways that she, she thought for sure she would die. Um, Mm -hmm. and then at the end, you know, (laughs) um, if I'm dead, I don't want to leave you feeling hopeless and alone. Not when there's work to be done. So I'll leave you with this thought. My death will be worth it. If you get to the end and achieve godhood. (laughs) Yes. No pressure though. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I would want someone to feel a little bit of pressure if my resurrection was on the line. She, uh, she, even as her last act, you know, her posthumous will will be like, I need to push him just a little, like as hard as I can. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I love it. That's very, emotional. don't fuck this up for all of us, June. Right. Don't let this be the thing that throws you off. Just fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah. She nailed it. But she is, uh, I love that she's in like a oversized t-shirt and panties. Very cute. It's a princess uh, t-shirt. Yeah, it yeah. is. Classic. She says that when it uh, about the DM that when it came time to make me, I think I was a reused asset in some sense, and I don't think that's fair to her. Uh, I think, like, I- I'm not sure we mentioned this previously, but it's pretty obvious that Amaryllis is like Alexander Wales's ideal partner, and uh, so I had assumed that he first had her in the Uther Chronicles because you know, duh, he was a teenager and he wanted his ideal partner there to, uh, to write about. Uh, and then, like, he wanted to explore all that in Worth the Candle, but his ideal hadn't changed, even though 500 years on air passed. And, he, you know, I, I think he said he decided, fuck it. I'm just going to lean right in. I ain't going to try to fap around trying to make some other ideal partner. It's Amaryllis. So I I could dig it. Uh, I don't think you did mention that. Or maybe we did, but it's been a long time that Amaryllis might be the author's ideal partner. Um I guess we didn't because it wasn't clear that, you know, June was the DM, was the author until just now. Exactly. Yeah. But I, when I, when I see the phrase reused asset, I think assets in terms of video games. Yeah. And so I think that's what she meant too. Well, in that, in that sense, she is, she looks just like Dahlia. Like they already have the, the shape, right? (laughs) Well, sure. Yes. But we know it's not a video game. They probably even reused the voice actress. Like (laughs) they had to to re-record, record new lines. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I can dig it. Um I I like that too. Uh let's see. I'm trying to think of anything else before the last bit of this, but um no, there's I mean it was it was fun. Uh you know, there's like a kind of I don't know what you'd call it, quick summary kind of cool thing about Dahlia. Um mm. but it doesn't really it doesn't really relate to anything, but this is just kind of like a fun uh you know, if you were curious kind of thing. Oh wait, there was the really cool thing. Um, right, okay, what's the really cool thing? They she like she stopped this cult of like immortalists. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, I think one to live forever is fine and dandy, but you know, not if you're a fictional character because the, they're then you're you're universally evil. Um, right. But in in defense of Dahlia, they were also like whatever hijacking nearby babies to do it, and so that right. that probably is actually evil. Um, 
So, uh, but not to be outdone, she was like, well, it's different if, uh, if, <laughs> if, if it's me. And so yeah. Amaryllis looks like her and has some of her tendencies because she is a sole sort of copy sort of thing of Dahlia. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if the origin of the philosopher's stone was explained in a epilogue of methods of rationality, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I know this doesn't actually matter, but if you guys were curious, yeah, yeah, no, I can do it. It was pretty cool. I, I, I kind of, again, I didn't quite see the point because Alexander Wales had already said, you know, nothing matters. I made it all up guys. Uh, that's not true. I maybe that's maybe that's our key disconnect. I'm sorry to interrupt and be so vehement yeah. about it, but yeah. that that is just not what he said. I realize that you're putting you're putting that uh, that feeling into it. You're not saying that those were the words that came out, but explicitly that wasn't it, right? Like the you know Alexander said, you guys are characters in the story, but it matters because you guys feel good about it, or you know you guys being the readers at this point. Like yeah, well no, he said the emotions are the things that matter. But, but so are the mysteries, you know, like the, the, the curiosity is an emotion, you know, that's fun too. It it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never lost, you know, like the whole time, you know, reading this entire book and, you know, methods where we're sitting there like, oh, the author must be smart. This is really creative. Like we're talking about the author already, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the author, it doesn't become less smart if the author says this is a story because we already knew that we're like, okay, how is he going to bring this home? How's he going to, how's he going to, you know, close this loop? Um, yeah. That doesn't. I think that changes even less than the emotional stuff. I, it, just the way that he said. Remember the um, intro to the Mystery Science Theater nine thousand, uh, where the song goes. You guys are wondering how he eats and breathes and all those other science facts. Just tell yourself it's just a show. I should sit back and relax. I uh, will because, uh, pretend like I've seen it. Oh, okay. Because Joel is up on a space station where he's been trapped and forced to watch bad movies, right? Uh, that's the conceit uh and and you know the they they head off the question is like well if he's on a space station how does he eat and breathe and stuff and it's like shut up it's a it's a stupid show uh and that that's what it felt like where june is like okay but like how do i exist uh what is this world and the dm's like shut up dude i wrote it that's how it (laughs) exists i wrote you and that is the reason everything you went through is so that i could work out some issues and make people feel things and you know at that point, I I feel the same way about Amaryllis. Like, she looks the way she does because she's Alexander Wales's type. And he wanted to reuse her to explore some of his issues from earlier in life. But uh, I guess if you want to, you can make up this thing about this spirit magic, soul magic thing, which is also how the Renaissance work. And then uh, she decides to use it to propagate herself. But... <laughs> What's the point, man? We already know that the real reason is because you wanted to play around with uh with this person in your in your fiction. I mean, I I guess I think it's just for me seeing behind that curtain doesn't actually take away any of the magic. I think that's that's the difference. Like, you know, we gave a couple of hypotheticals last week. You know, like if if uh, Lin Manuel Miranda turned to the audience and was like, "Wasn't that great? Don't you guys have feelings now?" Like yeah. that, like if it was really self-congratulatory, that mm-hmm. would be, uh, you know, off-putting and it would be, it'd be, it would, it would detract from the, the play as a whole for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. but this wasn't that. And even if it, even if like, uh, whatever the author does come on at the end and, and say, you know, make you feel stupid, you know, by 
saying, ha I made you all cry. Like it doesn't actually make your feelings less. It might taint them after the fact. Right. But yeah. like at the time they were, they were good feelings. I don't know. It's uh, I, I don't know. I think I, I, I'm just trying to think of like, you know, getting a canonical explanation for the philosopher's stone, like that would have like the whole book was there to indulge, you know, Yudkowsky's nitpickingness of, of JK Rowling's universe and yeah. have fun with the rationalist character. Like, but we knew that the whole time. Yeah. You know, like if he had shown up in the mirror of Eris said, well, I guess people do get mad about that. They got pissed that Quirrell happens to mention that the people working in Atlantis to stop the end of the world, you know, working mundane conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember people on Reddit giving shit about like, you know, man, he's plugging his work really hard right there. He's like, he doesn't even mention, you know, it's like, sure. In this book that took him five years to write, if he has two sentences about his, his life's work, um, you know, how dare he? Um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I, I guess I kind of lost track of where I was going with that, but, uh, I am going to just taper off there. Like this chapter okay. goes at the end. All right. Yes. I, I, you know, I guess just that, that, I guess that is the reason I felt such unfulfilledness and it's hard to bridge that gap. Right. Because now I feel like these sort of things don't matter. And, uh, and, and you don't because it still works for you and that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, it is. I'm glad that I get to keep enjoying it. I, I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying to parse. Like, I think, I mean, I, I still I enjoy a lot of it. It's a fantastic story. I just don't enjoy those little details anymore. I guess, I mean, not to keep beating this horse to death, but like what, what changes about this fun little bit of world building now that we know that this is a world, you know, not, not as front and center that this is a world that's being built on the page. Like what, what makes it less interesting or less compelling after that? Because it's not true even in the story of the universe. That's not actually why Amaryllis looks the way she does. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Um, and I, I, the DM came down and told us exactly why. And I, I do understand too. So like, you know, June goes off on this discovery adventure and Alexander uses that as an excuse to say, Hey, look, I had this kind of like fun side plot thing for Dahlia. Um, mm-hmm. And I might as well give an explanation for why she looks like Amaryllis. But we know that's what's happening. And it's like the, I don't know. Um, do you remember when they, uh, and I never saw Buffy, but even I heard about this. They re-released it in like widescreen. Oh, God. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Google yes. widescreen Buffy on YouTube and you'll find videos breaking down like different parts where it's like, look, it was not meant to be viewed in this this ratio. And you can see on some scenes like the edge of the set and like the staff working on the show. I will um, I will link the Buffy remaster video in the uh, show notes because it is it is tragic. <laughs> so this is kind of you're saying this is kind of like that, and it's like, look, we already yes, we all know that there this is a set with people working on it, whatever. But if we can actually see them on the screen, it sucks <laughs> right. all the fun out. Is that is yeah. that the feeling? Yes. Okay, then I, I understand the feeling. Um, I think that this is a, a meta enough story where it gets away with it. Um, but I, I think I finally understand where you're coming from. Thanks for letting me beat that to death. Uh, we sure. beat it to life because now I understand it. So, And it's different from like if there was an accident with uh, the, you know, someone happened to get their coffee cup on, on screen or something and nobody caught it. And, you know, it, most viewers wouldn't catch it either. It's just like something that someone notices and points out. God, my brother watched Army of Darkness well over 20 times. And by the end, he's <laughs> like, like, it's a lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's a lot to me. I don't know how many times he watched it. There were times when he would watch it two or three times in one day. So I don't know exactly how many times, but like by the end of he when he was all done with it, he could like point out every single error in any frame that there was an error in, right? Just from watching it so many times. And uh, you know, that that's one thing, but like it's another thing if the the director like kinda comes on screen while they're shooting and he's like, hey, uh, just ignore this this part over here. See, this is the set, but you know, the, the action is still over there. Keep watching the actors doing their things. It's like, dude, th- you literally put that part of the show? Why would you do that? You know, that kind of thing. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, there, All right, last little thing like that. There's a, a separate thing called Movie Mistakes because there's a mm-hmm. cool one called Movie Details, which is much has like much uh, wider uh, user base. Um, but one of the top movie mistakes is a scene from the good place. And it's like first season, first few episodes of the Janet. And, you know, it's like, Hey, can you hand me like this stack of papers? And if you see her standing there with her hands crossed behind her back, like from like one for one second, you can see somebody hand her the sheaf of papers that then she turns around and hands to Michael. Um, <laughs> oh, cool. And so that's, that's just, you know, it's kind of funny when those happen, but it would be, you know, uh, inversion shattering if we saw every one of those and that was just like how the show worked um yeah okay fair enough all right well just like when we get started talking or when i get started talking there's there's no knowing where we're going yes oh wait we didn't finish uh, we didn't read out this chapter sorry it's great you pulled out the quote i'll let you read it and then i'll just we'll move on oh yeah he's talking about eventually what happens over time he says eventually the feeling that the dungeon master was still there somewhere with us faded away Amaryllis was right, as usual. If he was around, it was just for the part where we got our mostly happy endings, which is literally the epilogues, uh, because the DM does fade away, and we don't get any other things in their lives. It's like months, possibly years between epilogue chapters, uh, and so he's gone, except for, you know, the parts where we got our mostly happy endings, which is these epilogues. So that's pretty cool. I liked it, too. And it was just, it, it kind of gives, like... A, it's fun that like, yes, these these happy endings are canonical um, mm-hmm. and he, we're going to see less of June as as the story sees less of him, as the author stops writing him. And it leaves us with the sense that if we can still close our eyes and believe hard enough that June is real, um, that he's, you know, he stops looking over his shoulder for the Dungeon Master to show up again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like that. It's cool. Yay. But there's no knowing where they're going. Not when you're driving down I-90 going God knows how fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, in their case, they, they do know that they're going to wall drug. Well, but it's more about there. the journey than the destination. Isn't that always the way? Yeah. Well, not always, but often. Well, since they never get to wall drug, it's definitely <laughs> the case here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I noticed that there was no solace in the car with them, which made me sad that solace is still being cut out of things. I was sad. At some point, I noticed the toad wasn't here, too. Um but I guess since the toad never turned into a person that had sex with June, that I guess he matters less or something. Um, right. But yeah, I, I wonder if solace is enjoying heaven at all. Like I, th- I wonder if she's salty about how things turned out. Hmm. Well, I hope not. Me too. It wouldn't be very much like heaven if she was, it, I hope she gets some happy place. It raises the question of like, this is, uh, so I, I, I don't think I want this, but maybe it's worth discovering or discussing if it's not touched on by the end of the epilogues. But um, it's it's never stated outright that June's heavens have the option to opt out. Like people could seek oblivion before, right? Mm, yeah. 
And if people are just like, look, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I, is, is there I, an option for them to just say no thanks? I really hope so, because otherwise it could be a hell for many people. I think I think there absolutely would have to be an option to just cease existing. I would think so, too. I, I guess the reason that it crossed my mind is because I would have thought that we'd have one person in the, like, whatever, drive-by uh, world ending differently for people. Mm-hmm. I would have imagined that we'd have one of them say, no, fuck it. If that's the case, kill me. Yeah. Um, that would have been cool. Uh, but we, we can just that imagine maybe, And you're thinking that maybe Solace would be that kind of person. I think so. Yeah. Like, she had the one purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, it wasn't even, like, the farmer who was doing, you know, the farming work to serve his other ends of, like, enjoying food and not, you know, freezing to death, right? Yeah. Solace didn't need to do any of that stuff. Like, presumably she needed to eat and shelter and whatever, but she could druid her way out of all that. She had the one thing, fix the locust. Then the locust basically told her to go pound sand. And so then then the world ends. And she's like, fuck it. I don't want any part of this. I can imagine that. I could see that too. Hopefully she got a happy ending as well, though. I hope so. Um, You know who else? Bethel's not here either. I did not notice that. That's a damned good point, though. I I had hoped that she was the car. Um, (laughs) That would have been awesome. But if she was, she never made that known. Um, So Hmm. and then I was wrong when uh, the... But it depends what the other chapter called, like depends what you call home or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you thought that would be the Bethel one? I thought that'd be the Bethel one. It was a very good guess. But I I mean, we're running out of opportunities for us to get the Bethel one. So I hope that we get one or at least some some notice of how things worked out. It would have been funny if like there's a hand wave thing that like, oh, yeah, the downside about becoming, you know, God of everything was I learned that Bethel wasn't actually sentient. Um, mm. but that's not how it would work because June's the author and, you know, sort yeah. of, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so she would have been as sentient as he wanted her to be, even if she wasn't up until this point, you know, he would have, he would have imbued her with sentience. Um, Do you think he would? I think so. I think he's so, he seems very against creating people. And so if he found out that she was never a person at all, which again, I don't think is possible, but if somehow he discovered that, then I think he would have been like, oh, okay, let's not create a person who has a memory of 400 years of mm. despair and loneliness and uh, instead just just erase the, you know, well, or let her remain not being a, a real person. She was a thespian the whole time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I uh, I think you're, I think you're right. I was thinking that it'd be nice. I mean, he was thinking in my mind, he would have thought she already basically exists. But she already basically exists kind of like Arthur already basically exists on Arab, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no go. I, I get it. What do you think about uh, seeing the doe in there in her human, you know, fuckable form here uh, where I, I, I suppose she's, you know, extremely tall and very hot, but also seems kind of dopey, pre-verbal, uh, seems a bit like uh, she's kind of high all the time. I think that... I, 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 I remember you said something along the lines of like, uh, I hope June didn't rape a retarded person or something. <laughs> I, I was much more tactful than that. Yes, um, you were. I, I, I That's basically my- had sex with a deer that looked like a person. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, if the deer was into it, I'm sure she was sending signals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, 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 but theoretically, that whole thing is fine. A, but Theoretically, a deer intelligent thing cannot consent to sex with humans uh, is at least the thing i have heard said many times i mean probably i don't want to i feel like getting too much into the ethics of this will be just too far afield for the show but i i can imagine a circumstance especially in this fiction where it's like look the deer's into it and it's telling us that it's into it with magic whatever yeah um like june's not doing anything wrong if you know 
I don't know. It, I mean, I, I completely agree with all of that. I just remember that you seem to have some reservations about it at the time. Well, it gets it gets weird uh, quickly in ways that I don't quite want to dive into, I think. But if, if I have to later, I will. Um, so <laughs> why not right now? Because uh, it's I, I, I feel like it would take 10 minutes when I don't want to spend 10 minutes on it. And if I were to try and okay. give a 30 second version, it would be seen as tacit endorsement of one side or the other. For, I tell you what, for a thought-provoking philosophical ramb- rambling on this, uh, check out Peter Singer wrote an essay called Heavy Petting. I think it's a good intuition pump for some of these concerns. Um, Excellent. And uh, it's it's gross and weird. Have fun. Um, it surprised <laughs> me when I came across it, like just on his website, as one of his other essays thrown in there with all the real ones was was this one. <laughs> oh. um, anyway, yeah, right. The, the doe can't talk or it doesn't seem to want to. I, I don't know. I assume that it's just either right. It's, it's a human intelligent person. That's just high as shit all the time. And she's never not on lots of acid or <laughs> she's trying her best. And that's just how smart she can be. Um, but, or she experiences reality completely different than us, but in a not less intelligent way. Like, somebody, like somebody in LSD. Yeah. Well, sure. But they're probably less intelligent. Um, I mean, at least I know I am. Um, that's that's been my experience too. Yeah, some some heavy users will be like, "No way, man! I'm actually at my smartest." I'm like, "Yeah, you're at your smartest when you can't finish two plus two. Like, right? Um, but anyway, uh, I what was funny about speaking of her being a deer and a giant person and stuff is it feels like the car has arbitrary amount of space. <laughs> it kind of does, yeah. And and they keep praising authenticity, and I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. it's not an authentic road trip unless you're all sitting shoulder to shoulder, really uncomfortable for like nine hours. It sounded like whoever was in the back with the deer was very uncomfortable. Maybe. I I, I guess. I I got the feeling that no, like at some point those, the deer was doing yoga. Weren't they in one of those really huge SUVs? A Dodge Grand Caravan, but there's like six or seven of them. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I It's funny, but like I, I'm just thinking like, I, like, I know that there's some throwaway line about the deer doing yoga in there. So I, I pictured it as gigantic, like whatever, mm-hmm. um, arbitrarily big. But, um, anyway. but perhaps it is not. Yeah. So it, it's okay. it's a possibly regular sized car. Who knows? Yeah. But well, it does need gas, a, however big it is. It does. And they go into a possibly regularly sized gas station, but mm-hmm. we will never know. Uh, there were other people inside the gas station, it says, but they were all played by the thespian. And uh, that's just, I don't know. It interested me because none of those people were real. And I sort of, I don't know if this is just an effect of living in, you know, a large city and it's and it's suburbs my whole life. But basically, I always just kind of feel that way about other humans around me. They're they're just kind of like there. They're more like objects than like people. And I don't think about them much and don't worry about them. But, uh, you know, basically like they're thespians. But uh, lately, every now and then when I'm going around the grocery store, I just like look at people like I'm as i'm walking like just just really look at them and try to think about what it must be like to be them and feel the things they're feeling and what thoughts they might be having and it's really a very different thing for me uh and i still don't do it very often because i usually forget but it's it's strange thinking of just everybody as as individual persons rather than aesthetic objects you know i love it i think that's that's really cool i mean you know it it sounds callous to say like, you know, I don't look at people like people or whatever, but it like no one, everyone does that all the time. Like, yeah, you, you know, I mean, in a city of a million people, you can't. And, it, you know, if you're if you're at the coffee shop 
like the person between you and coffee is is a person <laughs> insofar as like you have to like speak your order aloud rather than type it into a screen, you know? Yeah, um, you treat them respectfully with respect course. any human is is due, but you don't think of them and try to model them. No, I I build in like whatever what I hope are like nice habits that like um yeah. you know uh lots of courtesy, thank yous, compliments, whatever. Um, right. And you know, once in a while, so like, you know, again, they're the the coffee robot until I don't know, you, you have a real conversation with them, even if it's like ten seconds long. Mm-hmm. And uh those are always like fun aha moments. But what was fun, I used to do the thing that you're describing where like you look around at people and be like, man, they're all just as real as me, doing like they're they're all going somewhere. They're they've all got their goals today. They've all got their thoughts and fears. Um, I used to do that as a kid a lot when I was looking at traffic. Huh. And I think it was just because like there's so many cars on the road, and yeah. where are they all going? And like, wait, where are they all going? Yeah. Like they're all going somewhere. And when you think about mm-hmm. that, like just you know walk over the bridge to the you know over the highway at some point and be like, all right, so I'm I've been here for a minute. I've seen 150 cars, and well more than that, whatever. But they're yeah. all they're all going somewhere, right? Yeah. They're all being driven by people who have a, a goal and ambition for right then. Anyway, so I learned, I don't know, 15 years later that there's a word for that called uh, Sonder. Sonder. Yeah. That's, I, today I learned. And yeah, that so was a new word for me. It's uh, I wonder what language it hails from, but it feels like every every emotion has a word in German, but it doesn't sound like a German word. So <laughs> it could totally be a German word. But that's the the like the feeling of thinking of other people as real people and what it's like to be them. Yeah, I think that's that's about it. Let me grab. All right. Sonder, the realization that each per each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. Huh? Yeah. Literally that. Does it say etymology German? Uh, no. The first dictionary website is urban dictionary. Is this not a real word? Well, it, just because it's an urban dictionary doesn't mean it's not a real word. But if, it, if that comes up and there's still five more down, I'm not seeing one about uh, like actual, um, like a real dictionary. Oh, here we go. Oh, wow. <laughs> no wonder I didn't hear about this word till as an adult. Coined by John Koenig in 20, 2012, whose, wow. whose project, the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, aims to come up with new words for emotions that currently lack words. Inspired oh, by German, Sonder ha. equals special, and the French, Sonder, to probe. Hmm. Okay. okay, so high five on guessing that it was German. But also, this is this deliberately came about as someone's project to give emotions words. That's really fun. That is neat. The Dictionary of so, Obscure Sorrows. Dude, toss me that link, too, so I can include it in the show notes. Yeah. All right. Well, mystery solved there. So, But it was worth, and worth you learning. you thought that it wasn't a real word because it was an urban dictionary. Well... Uh, it's 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 not in your dictionary, but it's in mine. My dictionary is called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Uh, there we go. Great. Yeah. All right. So well. the Great P debate of the heavens. Mm. Uh, just the random fun fact I've got out of the way that L farts are in accordance with the science one hundred times longer than ours. <laughs> that is awesome. It's really funny. Oh man. I mean. <laughs> So she, she's got to like find, you know, oh man, I, I feel it. Then again, I guess she'd have a hundred times the heads up that a fart's coming on. Oh God. It's got to be so terrible to be an L. So she gets to leave for a few minutes to handle that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Raven. Right, so, so yay or nay on bodily functions in the transhuman utopia. Jesus, nay all the way. So much nay. Are you kidding me? How's this even a question? The well, only bodily function that should still stick around is like orgasms because... All all the other shit is just God, I, I 
how many times have I wished that like if I had just one wish, it would be to get rid of my bodily functions. It's terrible. I mean, so Valencia, y- y- your your girl Val is a big fan. Yeah, well, you know, she's allowed to be wrong on things. <laughs> All right. I I think that uh you know, she says that some of them have have uh biological pleasures, you know, sneezing is fun. Um mm-hmm. and crack. I do not sneeze. Fen, wait, you do hear, right? Because, you know, the the authenticity. authenticity. And he says, "Hail authenticity." <laughs> she replies, "Hail authenticity. Fuck yeah." Um, <laughs> anyway, uh Greg doesn't fart and Val says, no way, farts are great. Um, but I think that they talk about peeing and uh, Amaryllis doesn't even blink anymore. Um, so here's my take. I, I think it'd be fine to do them on demand if I felt like it. I don't know why I'd ever want to fart, but like, you know, it. Because <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. You, you know, tell right, your kids a, to pull a, your finger. A comically timed fart would be hilarious if you could just do it whenever you wanted. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. So that would be. That'd Bad be awesome. Janet. Um, right. Uh, there was, um, you know, I think, uh, oh, okay. So I think they're talking about how, like, oh, I think Val says that peeing feels good or something. And mm-hmm. Amaryllis takes this to reducto ad absurdum. Well, if you want the fun, bio- fun of biological function, I don't understand why you didn't go further. Why not heighten the pleasure of it? Why not orgasm when you sneeze? Why not sit in the toilet convulsing from sheer ecstasy of defecation? The answer <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously is that you're just attached to keeping things the way they were, the way that they are. And I, I mean, Amaryllis, if you enjoy showing off your intelligence so much, why not orgasm whenever you make someone feel stupid? <laughs> like, is it, that what you think she's doing here? I, yeah, she seems like she might enjoy correcting people, making, you know, everyone likes looking smart, right? But I if you like she, it, why not turn it up to 11? You know, if you enjoy the sensation of being held or handing your, having your hand held or, you know, getting a shoulder massage, why not turn that up to orgasm levels? So she turned up every single bite of bacon to be as good as the first freaking fi- bite of bacon. <laughs> uh, I don't think she has legs to stand on here because she could ask herself, why not just make it an actual orgasm whenever you bite into uh, bacon, right? That's that's my point. Is I, I don't know. I think maybe she's having fun here. Um, mm-hmm. And this isn't actually her position because this is too obviously like missing, um, <laughs> like missing, the, missing the mark to be her, her real position. But like that's mm-hmm. the thing is I... I don't know if it's ever shown in the epilogues, but I'm sure at some point, you know, she and June hold hands, right? Mm-hmm. And you do that because it feels good. It's reassuring. You know, she doesn't explode from ecstasy every time that happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, I there, there's a less wrong post that we haven't got to about boredom and why boredom is good. But, you know, it's, it's the same answer as the uh, hedonic treadmill. It's because getting acclimated to stimuli makes you go and pursue other things and if you didn't and just did one thing over and over and over that'd be uh, that wouldn't be a very meaningful or interesting existence if you know there's there's a difference between having to pee and it feeling good to pee and then just like making everything you do feel like an orgasm all the time you don't want to go full wirehead like that at least if you're smart you don't agreed i'm looking at you wes (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think that we have to just, you know, lean into it and be like, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be orgasming from peeing and stuff. I'd just be doing it all the time. And like, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I, right. I, I think his position is consistent, even if I don't agree with it. But yes, I, I think Amaryllis was goofing around. And I like how June kind of like recenters this. He's like, dear God, keep your hands on the wheel. And <laughs> and then Grack was like, do you think because the, the doe looks at him like and then goes back to sleep. Do you think it's because she heard you shout, dear God? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot Grack was the the party comedian. 
Yeah. Well, like, I mean, Fen's the yeah. jester, right? Which is different. Crack has all the best jokes. Yeah. <laughs> He's fucking great. It's good shit. Um, I'm gonna jump to this next thing. Uh, the Raven is still uh kind of hung up on uh Uther and the fact that she, you know, never got to date him, never got to feel acknowledged by him, always had this crush. And uh, June's like, look, you can, you can just fix that. And she's like, no. And June says, okay, I think if you're not going to try autotherapy, you should try actual therapy. And Raven says, maybe I like my own brand of misery, which just reminds me of a lot of the songs I loved most as a teenager. And, you know, kind of gets a big goth heart for me because I think this confirms Raven as the big titty goth girlfriend. Is this your new waifu instead of uh, Val? Uh, I mean, my waifu was always Val and uh, and um, Fen in you know a three way relationship, uh, but no, I, I as much as I would you know like Raven and maybe we could be friends that you know maybe hook up or just friends. She she's not quite waifu, I don't think. Fair enough. Um, I don't know why. Don't don't ask me. It's I, yeah. I think she's less developed as a character. You know like, that could be it, but still, there's just something there that's not. Okay, so what does the term waifu mean, I guess, is part of the question here. I have no idea. I did it to be to lean into the weeb talk that Fen's always using. Like Oh, okay. I, I think it's it's internet talk for like wannabe girlfriend or something. I, I just assume you meant like, you know, the the person you idolize and want to be the wife person with you forever. Oh. Uh, um, no, I, I don't actually know what it means. I'm sure that Google won't be helpful right away. So let's go with I going with no. No, that, that's that's fine. I think as long as we're talking about Raven, I feel like she did have less um, less character establishment than some of the other other people. Maybe it's because she showed up so late in the story. Yeah, but even when she did, she was like she had this air of mystery, probably because she's a hundred times older than everybody else, and mm-hmm. she's already had a thousand years of adventures. Mm-hmm. And so you know, whereas everyone else is just kind of getting started, she's like, "Man, I I've done shit." Like you know, every time they did something, she's like, oh, "Yeah, that was my fourth biggest kaiju." You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's. Uh, I think that might have been part of it. There's just distance there, but um, I also never really got the goth aesthetic from her. There, it needs it needs more. Needed to be emphasized. Yeah, it's always kind of romantic and grandiose, and uh, it was never leaned into in the text as that sort of thing. Like you read um, <laughs> "My Immortal," which is the most ridiculous awesome satire of fanfic ever but it certainly gets the feeling of grandiose gothness uh right hits that nail on the head uh in a very fun way so you know it, it that there's a lot of ways to be goth in in fiction and i it never quite felt like uh she hit it i i hear what you're saying uh i think she always raven described as wearing black but like that's not that that is not enough that is Necessary, yeah. but not sufficient for gothhood. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever said that she painted her fingernails black, which I think is also necessary. <laughs> it helps. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of helping, this this actually does tie in, uh, segue nicely. Um, I, I had mixed feelings when I first learned about her uh, uh, emotional dildo. Um, mm-hmm. So she has a thespian that looks like Uther and... June had heard through the grapevine, in that case, Fen, um, that they had uh, sexual chemistry. Um, mm. And he says, having a dildo, I could understand, but he was more than that. He was an emotional dildo. And I don't know what your take on that was. 
I'm having an emotional dildo? Yeah. I think it's a very dismissive way of referring to something like that. You could call someone's pet dog or cat an emotional dildo if you're going to do that because people invest a lot of emotion in them that Mm -hmm. they can't actually return. You say that, but my cat loves me. Uh, (laughs) Okay. No, but you're... uh, um, I think that that's actually a really good point. I'm glad you brought it to real life. I was going to have to like lean into like some black mirror hypothetical, um, you know, like, and those relationships are actually important to people, you know? Yeah. I, I but, don't think there's just, anything wrong with them, but just like, a you know, just like an actual sex toy is important for somebody to get off, you know, with that, um, in that aspect of their life. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, but I, I think the comparison, yeah, it is flippant and dismissive, but I think it, act, it does sort of, you know, it can work. Um, so I don't know. My, my thought was like, my first thought was that she should stop leaning on her Uther clone and move on. Um, but calling it an emotional dildo was an interesting framing that made me second guess my assumption. Cause if it's not improper to use a dildo for sexual gratification, why would you draw a line at emotional gratification? Yeah. But I think there's, maybe this is just like the stereotype or whatever, but like, you know, if if you exclusively use your your sex toy for sexual gratification, they don't use anything else. Like the implication is that it's because you can't do it with anyone else, right? Right. And so that that would be like, well, if you're getting all your emotional gratification from your sex doll, like maybe you should get some real friends. Um, is yeah. the is the analogy there? Raven does have some real friends. She's on a road trip with them right now. Yeah, I I realized too that uh, it it actually comes up here in a minute, but. Um, and th- this was just sort of my first thought on it. Cause I, I think I forgot to like say out loud, but I had guessed that she wouldn't have moved on easily or properly just cause she didn't get the closure that June did. Right. Yeah. She was dragged kicking and screaming from her closure. Yes. <laughs> which is terrible. Yeah. I mean, yep. terrible in that it had to happen. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But that, that would really suck. Totally. Yeah. But she wants to go visit the Arab Arthur. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I was like, what do you mean, Arab Arthur? Arthur returned to Earth. And I was like, oh, there's an Arab Arthur which died in an Arab accident. And of course, he still has friends and family that would ask for him to be resurrected. And uh, that that hadn't occurred to me. And I think it'd be kind of, it's going to be strange for him to have, you know, fucking Raven of Uther's Knights come visit him. And he's got no idea why or what, what anything of has to do with anything but on the other hand he's got a big titty goth gf now so <laughs> good for him i guess right i i, I mean, mean he doesn't really but I, you know some pretty girl be coming to talk to him anyway but mm. some pretty legend um mm-hmm. i wonder like how 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 deeply are they going to read in arthur you know because tiff and raymer i guess have basically the full version right does i mean that doesn't really matter anymore they don't need to keep any secrets june's god but if if you if i was arthur you know i i do think whatever always prefer the truth yada yada i feel that way but i don't know if i'd want to know right off that like oh yeah you exist as somebody who could be here on air to parallel well i guess not maybe the 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 dungeon master's true nature isn't public but like it'd be weird to know that you were like the pre-dream skewered version of uther pendrag 500 years late you know, <laughs> that would be a weird thing to know, but they're probably going to tell him. Then again, I don't actually know if June told Tiff and Raymer that, uh, like what was going on between him and Uther, right? Like he knew that Uther was important, but I don't know if they knew about air or about earth, Arthur. 
I have no idea. I'd have to go back and read that. But anyway, my uh, uh, my thought was, oh, so it comes up with the next uh, the next thing. Quick, top five least awesome things about heaven. Go, go, go. Other people, says June immediately. <laughs> that made me kind of, you know, sad because uh, that's a bummer. I still hates other people. I think he's joking. I I think, I, I, he, I think it's a play on like hell is other people. Um, okay. But I mean, he could be. I mean, he's on a road trip with his friends. I sure hope he's kidding. <laughs> well, other people other than his friends, I assumed. No, they're they're fine too. He's he's got to be zen as fuck by now, right? One of his friends uh, is the locust. Like, I mean, he's still got issues with emotional dildos, so I don't know. But he immediately stops to work through them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think I hope he's messing with them. You know, he should have said like whatever. Being stuck in a in a Dodge Caravan with seven nerds or something, right? Oh, uh, that would have been perfect, yeah. Yeah, that would have been at least more explicitly a joke. But Raven kind of, like, I don't know, cramped the mood when she's just like, resurrection restrictions. Mm. And Because, I mean, even if, like, you know, I was still working through my feelings on the emotional dildo. And I had put in my comment, I was like, man, buzzkill, Raven. Get your shit together. Wait, holy yeah. fucking shit. I'm being way too harsh on her. She hasn't had a chance to really start grieving yet. Right. Yeah. And so I was Especially like, Especially not an L time. Uh, yeah. Good point. And, but that was my thing is like, at first I was like, come on, man, get it together. And I was like, oh, wait, shit. I'm being so inconsiderate. Um, so then I was immediately much more like compassionate about it. But then I felt bad because like the way that Arthur or that June would get over Arthur wasn't by making an Arthur robot friend, you know? I, it was by creating another Arthur in a fantasy world, though. Yeah, kind of. I realized that as I was saying it, but <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, well, I mean, I think that that's, she's, she's a lot like June in that way, right? She is. And that turns out to be what's going on with uh, this whole thing is she, she's not just being like, oh, no, me. And did you see that episode of um, Futurama where Fry has that Lucy Lubot girlfriend? Uh, it rings a bell, but I don't remember any details. It's classic. First few seasons. So back when they were all good, um, it was, uh, like don't date robots was like the theme. They had like one of those, whatever. Oh yeah. Um, reefer madness scare videos. And Mm -hmm. he makes one that looks like Lucy Lou and he spends all of his time making out with it. And Mm -hmm. that's all he cares about is making out with his Lucy Lou bot. Um, and so that, that's kind of how I pictured that she was, you know, working with this Uther, uh, thespian. And I'm just like, you should maybe try to like, you know, do more than just like the bare minimum to keep your other like real friendships alive, right? If this this robot is taking up all of your your attention and energy, I, that that was sort of my concern, uh, right? But uh, she was she was aware of that, and she she's like, no, I'm 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 trying to like fast track therapy for this. Yeah, and, do you want to jump straight down to the bottom? Well, I think. I'll just I'll just mention that we'll we'll go the rest in order because it's worth it. But uh, okay. as long as it's on the subject, because I when I was shitting on Raven, I had to explain that uh, I want to just I guess finish the rest of that thought. But yeah. Uh, anyway, she 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 was ahead of me on that, and I I felt bad for like prematurely judging her on it. Not not judging, but worrying after her. Mm. Like it wasn't like oh man you're a loser or whatever. It's just like oh shit I don't know if you're I don't know I'm not an expert but I think you're doing this wrong. <laughs> like yeah I don't think this is how you get over stuff. Um, not by pretending they're still alive, right? That's what I thought yeah. she was doing. Yeah. And so, like, it, it's different to imagine that they are, right? Mm-hmm. 
but knowing that it's imagined is is I think important. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Grack is with you that he says time uh, is the yeah. worst part of heaven. So time and time space. Is, time is bullshit, man. Fuck that. And space. You're right. Yeah. Those two <laughs> things are the worst. I'm, I'm glad Grack and me are on the same page. I'm on. I think I'm on Grack's page basically at every every step of the way. Yeah. You and Grack would be tight. All right. Do you think that he's right with uh, them being trendsetters? Uh, oh, yeah. In terms of pursuing weird things for novelty's sake <laughs> absolutely yeah and yeah june says you can just strip out the novelty circuits in your head so you know every time you go to the, see the matrix it's like seeing it for the first time uh and greg's like now nah, i stand by my prediction that people are just going to do new weird things and i i'm totally with him because i would much rather find crazy new stuff than strip out my novelty circuits uh i i mean i'm already a bit of a novelty seeking outlier i guess but holy shit that would be just terrible yeah, I I just like the idea that he's like, no, people will be doing this in twenty years. We're just beating, them. we're just we're just streets ahead. Um, yeah, but uh, no, I I'm definitely more of an exploit rather than explore personality. You're definitely more of an explorer. Like you'll try new stuff just to see if it's good. I'm like, that sounds awful. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm leaning more into that in my advanced age, and it's it's uh, it's fun. I you know if something sucks, I have turned movies off like ten minutes before the end before they end just because I'm like, all right, this never got good. Fuck it, I'm done. Um, yeah but you know it's either that or rewatch you know my favorite tv shows um i still do that but that's more like comfort food rather than like what i do all the time yeah so yeah no i i I am leaning more into the uh i guess it would be fun though to be able to be surprised again playing a video game at like the you know the peak moment or something right um Mm -hmm. but sometimes being like not surprised by it is uh part of the experience so I mean, that's one of the reasons time sucks. You can't like be surprised by the thing for the first time ever again. It's forever in your past. And wouldn't it be cool to still be in that, that situation? Well, so, sometimes like in the video game, video game example, knowing what's coming lets you plan or play, play it differently, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I think that there's something to be had there, but also, you know, yeah, you can only have it fun and new once or fun like that once. So you got to go find new stuff all the time. I think that's fine. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm playing through World of Warcraft Classic right now, which is, you know, basically just re-releasing all the content from 14 years ago uh, as as the time goes on. So, like, literally everything that that is coming, everybody already knows. (laughs) And but it it changes how you play. It's like you plan ahead now and do do things differently because you you know what what's going to be later down the line. And it's it's not as fun of a way of playing it, but it's an interesting and different way. Yeah, it's different for sure. Um, yeah, it doesn't have the novelty, but it has a new kind of thing. Yes, yeah, um, it's much more of the exploit uh, emotion, I guess. That's I'm getting my exploit fix from this. There you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, crack. Uh, hey, still warding? God, no! I had a, had a nightmare that I was was warding, and I now I don't have nightmares anymore. Fen's <laughs> <And laughs> like, nice. well, I, I'm still arching. Um, and June, you uh, you saving damsels and. I love his answer. He says, Amaryllis has me open jars for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, she'll act all frustrated that jar isn't opening. That's going to come to it. And give me a kiss when I, when I inevitably conquer it. And <laughs> I love it so much. Um, Grack, you set up your heavens so that only you can open jars or did she just pretend? <laughs> <laughs> it's a legit question. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Grack. So he's got to be sure. Right. Yeah, but he's like, no, she just pretends. Look, don't dissect it. It's silly and cute, and I like it. And then Grax hmm. says, "You're allowed to like things." 
Yeah. And that's, that's good. That that's why I wanted to to finish that quote because A, it's adorable, but also, you know, some some spoil sport will be like, you know, whatever. Someone can read patriarchy into that, right? Um but no, it is in fact just oh. cute, right? Okay. Yeah. And so no, I I think that's what Grack is saying. It's like, no, you're allowed to just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I I was thinking about like some people would come around saying like no you're not allowed to enjoy this ending because whatever I'm like no you can you can enjoy the ending however you want man that too in fact yeah. this this is this whole this whole chapter is silly and cute and just like it you know yeah, yeah. absolutely I love it um, yeah. Uh, okay, so um, this they're talking about uh, Raven's thespian. This is Amaryllis about Raven to June, saying that June just went through this whole thing about how uh, it really doesn't matter if something's real as long as it's real to you. Like, that's literally, you know, the thing that the DM uh, told him and us. And June's saying, so I shouldn't judge her for having a, uh, a thespian Uther then. I, I like that. It fits with all the themes. June, like you said, is learning already, working on himself, even in this uh, this epilogue here. I was just wondering, does this apply to uh, what we read in the, the previous week? Uh, Randall, who had been somehow greatly wronged by uh, Joyce, and you know, we get the impression of something really awful. Uh, and so Randall gets to torture a uh, thespian that looks and acts like Joyce as part of his healing or avenge or whatever. As long as it's real to Randall, like, does that mean it's real enough? D- does it count in that way too? Because I, I think, go ahead. No, I, I, go ahead. I, I'm still working on my thought. Well, I mean, I, I think that the whole point, the reason that it was okay for him to torture uh, a thespian Joyce was because it wasn't real Joyce, so it doesn't count. But just right here, uh, they're saying the opposite that well as long as it's real to the person having the experience then it's real enough and it counts which feels contradictory also you seem to implying that you seem to be implying that the thespians don't have experiences uh, and earlier you said like they're not real um like other people like the like the gas station and i'm like well if they're oh. not real then they're not having experiences and they're pee zombies but we'll, we'll leave that aside um <laughs> okay <laughs> but uh so that yes, so in this in this analogy, Randall is Raven, uh, whereas Randall yes. wants to torture Joyce. Raven wants to to be with Uther. Um, I think that to the extent that Randall believed, it's like I guess he would never be under any delusions that this was the actual Joyce that he's torturing to death, right? Yeah, uh, he much would like, just it would just be kind of like pushing that button in his monkey brain. Much like uh, for Raven, she doesn't ever have the delusion that this is the actual Uther. She's just pushing the button. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, okay. I, I talked myself out of it. I see what you're saying. It's, it's real enough to the, the real person in the, in the situation. So that's, uh, that's what matters. And obviously it doesn't matter from the thespian side. No, but I, I I'm glad they brought that up. Cause it, it ironed it out for me really well. Why I still had like a misgiving about it, even with this analogy that I liked or this comparison, because like, or rather Amaryllis's thing, she said, you know, you want this whole thing about, it doesn't matter if it's real, so long as it's real to you. But with, with Randall, he would, in in the comparison, he's torturing a thespian to overcome something, right? Mm-hmm. Before we learned that, that Raven was doing this, I thought she was doing it to cling to something. And I mean, I don't know why Randall was doing it. Maybe it was to overcome something, but... The, th- the, the authority that he was talking to made it sound like, you know, we're going to help you get over what, what okay. uh, Joyce did to you. Um, yeah. And honestly, I think that the more that he believed it was, you know, a sapient sort of whatever 
copy of Julius. Like I think the worst thing, I think he's doing something bad. Like the more he believes it, the worse it is. Yeah. Um, he's just straight Westworlding. And then he's like, no, I really hope it's actually him. I hope this really hurts this robot. And it's like, Jesus yeah. dude, like the robot didn't do anything. <laughs> right. I know, but it looks like my worst enemy. Um, but I do like uh, the, that was my thing is that like, all right, so he's doing, he's torturing a robot to overcome his grief or his, his anger. Whereas Raven was, was clutching a robot to hold on to her, you know, to, to never have to face her feelings. That's what I was picturing as the, the dissimilarity. Okay. And that's why I thought Amaryllis was off the mark. And uh, June, June puts it nicely. He says the fact that Raven hadn't requested a creation or had been denied. And the fact that she wanted to go visit the Arab version of Arthur all added up to a tragically imperfect life for her. It was heaven for fuck's sake. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That That is the most succinct way of putting it with those six words. Like, that, that summarizes my I feelings mean, perfectly. I'm like, yeah, it's heaven. You shouldn't have a tragic ending here. Like, get it. I, it should be right. <laughs> I guess, but you can't just, like, shake someone and say, be happy at them. <laughs> like, it, Raven is maybe not having as bad of a time as Solace, but she's she's not having a great time and saying hey it's heaven you can have anything you want except the love of uther is not gonna make her feel any better i know it's just a bummer because like i want it to be uh it'd be one thing you know if they didn't get the june was god ending and she just had to like face her grief like they got the tragic ending mm-hmm. then it sucks and there's nothing you can do about it in this there is something you can do about it and like no you're just indulging your misery here on heaven where you don't have to i'm not saying to just cut it out of you but like, you know, maybe start cutting it out of you, you know, therapy style. Um, but I wasn't giving Raven enough credit. That's exactly what she was doing. Yeah. So the thing that she was actually doing is uh, Raven says three months ago, I requested, requested a shift in my hedonic treadmill when it came to Uther just to speed things along. The highs are getting less high. I'm getting bored. It hurts to say that about someone I have feelings for, even if he's just a character played by an actor. And June says, so eventually you'll break up and you'll move on. Raven says, I think so. I think the last year with him has been instructive. You can think of it as an extended send-off, if you like. The goodbye that I never got to have with him on the long stairs. I don't know. I think this sounds like a good way to have a breakup. Like, maybe this is what ideal breakup technology looks like. The breakup that fucked me up the worst was the one that just came out of the blue. And I had no chance for any sort of closure that it was just, you know peace out fucker i'm gone like i i think i think i really liked uh the whole raven and uther thing in this chapter and the way she's working through her shit and getting over it me too i think it i think you're right it might be like perfect you know one thing she could do is just say no no no, edit me into being the kind of person who's already over it but right you know unless they're going to retroactively fill you with the memories of like the the process of overcoming it then you Which didn't they could they could then in that case you just you, you you know she might actually just be doing that right like in that case you might as well just do it or you know if there's no if there's no distinction between saying okay look put all the memories in my head and just whatever like the woman who skipped the three hours to get to see her son right mm-hmm. um so if i guess what i'm saying is like if you if you if you don't do the memory backfill and you just say no skip me to the end of the emotional growth I don't know if you can actually get to the same spot. And if you can, then it's like, it has to be filled with some, some fluff, even if the fluff is the same stuff that would have come that way organically. Right. I think if you're an omnipotent God, you could, if you could make a pea zombie, then you can do this thing. Yeah. I, 
I think you can, but I, for some reason I like her method more. Yeah. Um, like it feels more authentic, even though, you know, maybe when I'm a million years into the transhuman future, I'll look back like, why did we ever do things the slow way? Mm -hmm. But I don't know, for the same reason that sometimes you make a meal from scratch rather than order out, you know, like it's, it just, it's just better, even if it's the same food. Um, I, Is it? I don't know. I, I, okay. I think that's, that's a pretty bad analogy, but like there, there might be something to be said about like, no, actually putting in the work has value to it. Right. I mean, maybe it does. I've been lately cooking, you know, a lot of my own food and that's been entirely for health and money reasons, but, um, it, it feels, it does feel a little bit different when I eat it, which is strange. I know that there's a vast difference in living quality in a house that I have like completely renovated from the ground up myself than just a place I moved into. I really prefer it this way. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, if you could have pressed a button and it was just done, I mean, leaving aside all of like whatever the time and money and, and body sore and stuff, there's something mm. extra rewarding about having put in the work yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's just some extra ingredient there. And I don't know if that's, you know, me clinging to the way that things are rather than just like moving on and accepting that pressing a button is just as legitimate, but I like her approach. That's my 10-minute way of making that point. <laughs> I mean, it's it may be that pressing a button is just as legitimate, but in that case, why don't just you press a button and skip right to the end of being, you know, alive for 10 million years and experiencing everything? And then you'll be like, yeah, I experienced all that stuff. That was great, huh? I, I because- love it. That's a perfect... Uh, Way of saying, no, sometimes it's worth doing it the slow way. Well, I don't know if it's worth doing it the slow way, actually. No, I Maybe think, I think that it is. is superior. I, I mean, I, uh, I mean, unless you're cramming more experiences into that time, I don't know. If, like, if, But if you're just going to do the whole thing in one second rather than in a trillion seconds. Um, no, I think I like it. I, if, uh, if someone wants to skip to the end, then they should say, I think to be consistent, they would say, no, you should do the same thing with life, too. Um, then again, you're overcoming one hard thing here, you know, in life, you want to stop and enjoy, stop and smell the roses, but you don't want to stop and feel the Lego in your shoe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All right. We'll have to debate that when we're all immortal. Cause we don't have infinite time yet. Oh man. That's going to be fun to debate when we're immortal, <laughs> unless people, you know, start wars over the shit, then it won't be so fun. Just, uh, just intellectual wars. Oh, I mean, those are okay. As long as nobody gets killed or maimed or anything. Nope. Just drive by arguments. Oh, okay, yeah, those are cool. Yeah. Speaking of drive-by arguments, one last thing before we leave this chapter: uh, the authority is not very, uh, not very allowing people to be made. Uh, it says real, true life could be created, but the authority was stingy. Uh, I found this interesting that there is no scarcity anywhere in the heavens of anything except life. Life is still pretty damn scarce, and the authority is really stingy about like allowing new creatures to be created and i think this means that alexander wales must be pretty anti-natalist i mean i'm assuming obviously not completely anti-natalist because he has a kid of his own i know he has a son (laughs) yeah but uh it, it seems that he thinks that most lives aren't worth living on net if most lives would not be allowed to be created which is you know interesting um Two things. One, I'm not sure if it's a, if he has a son or not. I think it is, but I'm not sure. Uh, I know he has a, I know he has a kid. Um, okay. And then because uh, it came up, we we had him on the Bayesian conspiracy a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. So th- this might not be his his actual position, right? It could just be how he thought this utopia might work out. But I, let's let's go ahead and just run with or, like the idea that he tried to make the best utopia you could think of. Or maybe this is like 
17-year-old him was much more antinatalist and depressed because antinatalism and depression just go hand in hand. You don't want to create new beings when your feeling is that life is pain. Uh, so maybe when he was 17, he was more like that. And that's why the authority would be like that since it's modeled on 17 slash 18-year-old June. Yeah, that could be. Um, but it it's interesting. I, I was going to say it's just like maybe that because I, I sort of imagine, well, I don't know. You know, if I picture humanity in a million years, do they have kids, you know, with a snap of their fingers or do they, is it a very well thought out decision? Like, I don't think that's inconsistent with saying most lives are worth living, but I'm not actually sure. Um, I mean, there's a big difference between taking a long time and being responsible with your life making and being very stingy with allowing lives to be made. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's not, I'm noticing kind of the inconsistency of my position, which is like, I do think that it makes sense to be very cautious about introducing life into the into the universe, um, but I also profess to believe that m- basically most lives are worth living. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, then you can like no, don't don't worry about it too much, man. There's like a nine in ten chance your life will be worth living. Yeah. Um, huh? I need to puzzle this out. Just screen out the worst, you know, genetic issues and the worst parental situations, which you know that will be true in the transhuman future. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I what what I do like as far as grounding myself because I need to work out my uh, beliefs on that then. But back to the story, I do like that the authority is stingy and careful with resurrecting the dead. Like it that that does seem kind of like a heavy thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's also a fun bit of consistency with that. Like that all of whatever deal really Idrid wasn't a hard calculation for the authority since they never interacted with anyone anyway. <laughs> that's a good point like Grack got to petition that they'd be brought back and they're probably like yeah sure yeah right wow didn't probably didn't even take them three hours they don't matter to the universe at all sure why not i i know that's that's the implication because they don't interact with anybody wow they, they matter to, they matter to each other right right but as long yeah if they're going to stay in their hole then yeah we don't need to put a lot of thought into this hmm. I, I guess he also must have figured that the lives of the dwarves and really and ildred must have been worth living yeah at least in their own estimation i think oh yeah so greg definitely thought that and i guess the authority did too um yeah or it would have just been a sadder ending even if it would be like a truer ending if uh greg petitioned that his family could and his friends could come back and the authority was like no their lives sucked <laughs> right maybe the authority only does it because he knows how many of them are going to leave the dwarf hold in the end and pursue lives outside of what Grack and possibly the authority considers sort of like a shithole hole in the mountain. Yeah. Then again, I mean, they, there are the lower hells or the lower heavens. Um, <laughs> yeah. The hells. <laughs> right. <laughs> the ones where you have to work to eat, you know? Yeah. Um, so if they're going to permit those, they can permit the dwarves. True. But, you know, I guess uh, we'll have to think about that. And uh, in the meantime, we'll look at the ongoing adventures of Valencia the Red. She's she lives in basically Hogwarts, and uh, <laughs> I noticed speaking of Hogwarts that her kids, or at least the one um, that she's talking with the most, I don't know if it's Juniper or the other one, uh, Amy, Amy. But uh, she says "mummy" with a U instead of an O. Oh, you think that she trained her kids to be British to indulge her Hogwarts fetish? I mean, she must have. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty cool. I mean, so she probably didn't do it like with an edit when they got to heaven. I think she's just doing this back on Arab too. Mm-hmm. That's really- no, that's one of the uh, that's one of the bonuses of having your kids. You can do that kind of shit to them. That's really funny. Yeah, I can get behind it. 
Yeah, totally. But it's uh, like a funny prank, right? Um, and then man, Juniper is hitting her with the uh, the heavy heavy questions at like age four or five. Yeah, Juniper the kid, right? Uh, asking why uh, w- when they were suffering in the previous world, he's like, "Why did God do that?" And Valencia says, "This was a time before God," which is just man, that's kind of awesome that there's a world where kids don't even remember a time before God, and uh, and I I don't know. I guess I love this slam dunk on Christianity here <laughs> because uh, that is just kind of blatantly an obvious true of about the real world, right? Like that evil's a thing and it sucks. And that there's no God in this world. This is a time before God that we're in right now. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, no, I can dig it. Uh, it makes it like, makes me think of when Harry is killing the Dementor and he said, He's thinking something along the lines of like, uh, we like the the thought that you ever existed will be something that we won't even tell children until they're old enough to bear it, mm-hmm. right? Like you'll be you'll be that forgotten. Um, mm-hmm. But so Bal just gets to say, no, that this is before before God saved the universe. Um, anyway, it sounds like a fun conversation to have with a kid. I hope I live long enough to have one like that. Hell yes, me too. Uh, so Valencia needs to go get a blueberry pie. Uh, she, she decides to magic one up with a spell where she's like, I'll need a yu wand, some chalk and a sprig of chamomile, which is just shit. She makes up off the top of her head for no fucking reason, because she's in one of the higher heavens and she can just summon one at any point. And like, I don't, I don't understand why she did any of that because I certainly don't make up bullshit <laughs> before I hit copy on my fax machine. Like, why, <laughs> why Why? I don't turn around in a circle three times and, you know, make the sign of the cross. Why Why is she doing any of this? It's bizarre. I I can think of at least three reasons. Hmm. She She's just living a life of whimsy slash Harry Potter fandom, right? <sighs> okay, sure. Fair enough. Uh, so I, I guess if one of the things I love about her is her childishness and enthusiasm, then I would have to accept this too, and that would be fine. I think there's another thing, too, that like, oh, June and Amaryllis had this awesome rule that if you're going to violate the laws of physics, it'd look cool doing it. Yeah. Frankly, I think that's a rule worth keeping on the books. Hell yes. It just it makes it more fun. Yeah. So like maybe if you didn't have to walk all the way over to the Xerox machine to make a copy, you might like snap your fingers or something, even though you don't have to. Right. Yeah. Um, But I think also she probably likes the likes indulging the sense of magic because she had there was no way she could do magic on air. It was like the one thing that oh. was excluded for her because she never soul. Right. Okay. And so now she gets to like do magic, right? Oh, okay. Okay. Even though it's nothing special and everyone gets to do it all the time, but uh, she still is like, no, I'm going to just have fun pretending, right? I, you know, yes, I guess so. It's it, that is, it's a cool, like even harder rule, right? Like they just have to make it look cool uh, with her. Like she actually has to cast the spell of some kind, which is, it's a pretty neat rule for her reality. I just, it doesn't sound like it's a rule for her reality. It's just like something she's doing. And I think it'd be cooler if it was an actual hard rule. But I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm lazy. <laughs> no, I can dig it. Um, and if it wasn't a hard rule, I would just like not do it. Oh, I just, uh, I, I feel what you're saying. I I think I would have fun. Sometimes I slap my, I snap my fingers or whatever, like telekine- tele- telepathically, telekinetically change those lights at a stoplight. Mm, even yeah. though I know it doesn't do anything. Right. Like I pretend or like you ever like walk into a Safeway or a grocery store and you, you pretend to open the doors to the force. No, I don't think I have done that. It, it, you, you look ridiculous and childish, maybe, but it, you can do it as a subtle motion. <laughs> you know, you don't, yeah, you don't yeah. make it this grand thing. You just lightly move your fingers and act like you're opening mm-hmm. the doors with your mind. It's just fun. 
Cool. I'm going to try that. It does sound fun. Do it. And okay. I I was wondering when I was reading this, like what the hell a blink dog was. And then I just like, wait, I can just Google it. And a blink dog is uh, an animal from D&D. Yeah. Uh, it can blink in and out of existence. It uses that to aid its attacks and avoid harm. I, I really wish you wouldn't have looked it up and just asked me because then I could have told you it's like an up dog. <laughs> Damn it. I should have given me the opportunity. <laughs> oh, well, no big deal. It's like an up dog. I would have caught that, though. Yeah, you probably would have. I, I guess you definitely would have. <laughs> I, I, I walked a coworker into it, just like, like grabbed him by the hand and led him all the way there, and then laughed right. in his face when he when he finally realized it. And uh, he, he, I don't think he ever chuckled. I'm like, this was hilarious. The fact that even like dragging you into it was really funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, June shows up as a mysterious fo- forest wizard, and he has his little toad companion. Um, Yay! He gives little Amy a cape of jump good. And uh, little Juniper, a sort of monster slang to help her come out of her shell. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very cool thing to do. It was just fun. Oh, and Amarillo showed up. She's pregnant. Yes. Yeah. It's a very good uncle, I think. Juniper the Younger, though. Yeah. The one that needs the, the sort of monster slang to, like, overcome her, her psychological issues or whatever. I thought I thought she was interesting because, uh, like June says, there's something very timid about her uh, that Valencia couldn't quite account for. And uh, she was like Valencia even had conversations with Jorge about whether maybe they should petition the authority on her behalf to like help her fix her something because there's obviously something wrong with that kid. Uh, I think it's lucky that Juniper and Amy were born before the world ended because it sounds like Juniper may not have been allowed to be be created, be born if uh, if the authority had a say in it. Man, that's heavy. You're right. Uh, like. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm just kind of coming to grips with that because, yeah, at least this kid is struggling. Yeah, kids aren't allowed to struggle. Um, so, so Juniper Younger was grandfathered in. Yeah, yeah, which you know, kind of a bummer because I, I think sometimes struggle isn't that horrible. It can be a nutritious part of a breakfast, you know. Yeah, I, I think that. There's there's a level of like struggle versus like whatever pathological discomfort, whatever's you know uh, whatever would make Val think about BC talking to the authority, right? Yeah. So it seems a little little more severe than just like discomfort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's a good point. That's that's wild, uh, scary to think about. You know, it's it's again, it's you can't you know like a utopia that allowed sad, scared kids would be worse than one that didn't, right? So or at least pathologically sad and scared. I suppose technically. And so yeah. like we we can't say that this utopia is doing it wrong, but it is a weird edge case to think like, wait a minute, my kid might not have existed. Like I'm just, yeah. ha- I'm, I've got it in right under the wire. Like, uh, no, that, that's, that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Juniper has an awesome way of raising kids. As Amy says, I think for Juniper, uh, parenthood is more akin to being a dungeon master, shepherding a player who's ultimately in control of her own destiny and hoping she has fun with things. And I think that sounds fucking awesome and that would be i'm not sure like you could necessarily do that as a dad maybe as an uncle but maybe you could do that as a dad i don't know i've never had kids in any case it sounds pretty goddamn cool i think that is basically parenting like we have less freedom than a dungeon master does but you know some some of your freedoms you can set up in advance like if you can afford private tutors or private school you don't have to do like the standard um uh whatever public school track uh you know you don't want to like live vicariously through your children, but you can be like, no, we're, let's, uh, let's see if we can make you a martial. Like there was the, 
I think two cases of this. I think there was that guy, I forget his name. I don't know any of their names, who made uh, his daughters into chess champions. Yeah. He just picked chess. I don't know if he picked yeah. it randomly. Like, why why, uh, why chess and not uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? <laughs> right. I mean, this was also like in the, what, 1800s or something, right? I suppose. Maybe early 1900s. So not BJJ, but something else, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like uh, the, the Williams sisters, their dad just was like, I'm going to make you good at tennis. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That, that's how that's how it came out. Uh, yeah. And but like, a it's curious because they are really good at tennis, and some of that is physique that you know develops well after puberty, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not clear like how he settled on tennis rather than I don't know, running, Soccer. swimming, pole vaulting. Like I don't know, but the point is, is like you you can sort of just shove your children into things and have them apparently sometimes turn out great at it um, right. if you're willing to shove them hard enough. But I think there's a nice way to do that that can come out in a in a happy way. But um, anyway, cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I like this a lot. Speaking of parenting, and she, Val is kind of like just pointing at Juniper's satchel. Your, she says, your toad is missing. Ah, shit. And she says, language. And he's like, oh, I have an amulet. Uh, the amulet of bad words. I say bad word and the children hear something else. Um, so first off, and then I think Amarillo says that I think the fro- the toad does it on purpose. Like when it, it purpose. like whenever they come here, he like hides and runs away. Oh, oh well, not okay, hides yeah. and runs away, but he he like plays whatever uh, hide and seek. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, oh, I lost him. Uh, <laughs> and so now he's like, oh, I got to get on you know all fours and crawl around the forest looking for this little frog. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's cute. Uh, yeah, I bet he's living his best life. He's riding. Oh yeah. Val has a cat that can talk, uh, and it's a snitch it's like Mrs. Janet, Norris. Isn't it? Huh? Isn't the cat a Janet? Oh, you're probably right. Yeah, why not? It definitely is. Uh, yeah. Because it conveys like, hey, you know, Amaryllis is knocking at the door kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she makes hers. I, I, I picture it like Mrs. Norris, but. Uh, Who's Mrs. Norris? Uh, Finch's cat from uh, Harry Potter. Oh, okay, okay. Also yeah. a narc. Um, oh. Right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I like to imagine that the toad is off riding the cat like a faithful steed. Hell yeah, with a little toad lance. Yay. Mm-hmm. All right, man. It all depends. I wonder. What... Oh, go ahead. I, I wonder, speaking about that necklace, if the kids consented to having their perception of reality altered. <laughs> they sure didn't. I bet they didn't. Yeah. The thing is, like, they, they also wouldn't have consented to hear swear words. Like sure, but you what's are just, the bigger violation. I I don't know. I mean, like if you put, uh, I, I think fucking with someone's perception of reality is a much bigger violation. And if you don't want kids to say swear words, maybe don't say swear swear words around kids. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if you're actually harming the kids here, but I was thinking like, well, why not just have the necklace like make June actually not say a swear word? But then I wonder like, what's the actual difference? <laughs> well, then it would be his. Cons- uh, bodily autonomy that is being violated and also as an adult he could have actually consented to it right that's funny i mean i suppose i mean, I think the kids could have consented to it but i don't think they were asked i i think it's inconsequential enough that <laughs> that's true this is this is one of the last places i would like to die at, like this last one of the last hills i would fight on but <laughs> this is a tiny little toad-sized hill and we can just hop on over it but i but i do like no it, it's a funny thought where your head's at and then i'm wondering like oh yeah like you know privacy or whatever um Safety, whatever you call it, search result filters on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't consent to have my search results filtered. And it's like, oh, I consented for you. You're five. I'm not letting you see the internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible place. And I'm not going to have you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's a 
slight difference between internet search filters and <laughs> your your uncle doing that to you. Uh, and, and just because, so he doesn't have to censor his own words. You're right. Because it, it's funny. Like if parents are, you know, ah, oh, fudge, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. they are, they're, they're alternate kids' perception of reality, but they're they're actually making that reality. Yeah, that's funny. I love it. I, I'm glad that you, you noticed that. I'm gonna because I've got four. I've got a four year old niece. You know, that's the oldest one that can pick up swear words, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I don't swear around her. I don't think I'm not around her that much, so it's easy. Um, but no, I'm, I'm gonna think about. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep my eye on this ball for like her entire childhood, and I'll I'll report back in a few years. <laughs> I want to know as soon as she says her first swear word. Oh, she's she already has. Oh, oh okay. yeah. She, I think she swore like a year ago. Um, On accident or what happened? I just, just mm, making the same sounds as mom and dad. They say ass or fuck. Um, <laughs> cool. I think she said bitch, which is a pretty complicated word for a kid. <laughs> nice. Uh, no, no. I, I mean, like, I'll just keep my eye on like, you know, they also don't get to pick what they have for dinner. No, I'm going to just watch their entire development. Um, yeah. All right. Uh you know, having a constrained life that way, though, you know, is important. I think when you're a kid, you can't just run it off the rails. Uh, oh, yeah. But when you're an adult and you say, want to leave home and move on to bigger and better, you know, are you ruining your house by doing it or not? Well, there's only one way to find out. Depends what you mean by home, right? Okay. All right. I, I was trying to I was trying to figure out where you were going with that. Yes, it does. I could have used a couple more sentences in the middle there, but it's, it's uh, I'm running. I, I, it. I got there eventually. It just took me a second. All right. Two, chapter 251. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it opens up pretty heavy. I love it. Um, hmm. So Grack brought everyone back. And then it says, Grack would have thought naively that this would cause them to have some revelation about how terrible the old world had been and given them some leeway to make changes. Instead, it was the same. A mausoleum where the dead walked around doing as they'd always done. Hmm. Like, that's heavy as shit because he walked around that mausoleum and, you know, on Arab. Yeah. And so he walks around. And he's like, yeah, they're all alive. But what's different? Man. That's heavy shit, right? It is, but also like, I I I feel like this is the same Greg who said you're allowed to like things, right? Like if somebody likes their life in in a hole in the mountain, then let them have their life and don't you know, don't necessarily disparage them as you know basically a bunch of walking corpses that are just doing what they've always done. That's a really good point. You know, he's probably got some some trauma slash baggage with this, right? Yeah, I'm so, willing to cut him a lot more slack, but... But that, that's a good point. I wonder, though, there's a difference between doing what you like. You know, if they really like being in this hole, that's one thing. But if they're like, no, we've always been here. It's important that we keep doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, we all hate it. Like, the the dad wants to keep the death watch going. Which is weird, because no one dies. And so it's not clear when the death watch would end or who they have to watch. Do they just take turns watching random people? Like, I don't... It, yeah, what's the point? It's such a strange tradition at this point. But I think that's kind of what Grack's talking about. And it's like, so you guys are just tradition machines. Yeah. Like, I thought you guys were going to, like, do stuff and have autonomy. Um, so I think maybe that would be the distinction he would draw. I I don't know. It it sounds like Grack just really has a, a aesthetic disliking for their way of life and is being ungenerous here. Because, like... They could look at his life and they're like, well, you're just hooking up with the random people and then, you know, going out to salons and having conversations about shit. Same thing every single day, walking around doing what you always do. How is that different from being, you know, dead? Like, it, it's it's just that he likes that life. So fucking let him like things. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that he might say that the dwarves here don't even like their life. Like, a lot of them don't. Um, that's why a lot of them are leaving. 
right? Yeah. Um, but the ones who are staying, I think a lot of them are staying out of a sense of like obligation slash not wanting to bum people out, not because they like actually like it here. They just don't want to bum. They don't want to bum out their friends. Well, it's not just not wanting to bum out their friends. I think it's also because once you leave, you don't have those friends anymore. They're you're in a different place now. Yeah. Home is gone, or at least you know, depending on what you mean by home. Yay. That particular home is gone. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, which which brings us back to Grack, who has no friends in Dari Irid. Only people who had once been friends and were now so far removed from him and his experiences that there was no possible way to connect. Um, which just, it really kind of, it hurts to think about that because it feels like almost inevitable that that is what happens eventually to every relationship ever. I don't know how people can keep a relationship going for multiple decades or multiple centuries, multiple millennia. Like it, it, I was, I was at in, in, when I read this chapter and took this particular note in the, our notes, I was in a very depressed uh, period of the week. So I, I specifically felt like he was referencing maybe not directly, but the, the another brick in the wall song, which is basically the experience of the, the, the singer, like every single person that he knows just stops being emotionally important and kind of eventually slots into being just another person he used to know that is making up this wall that separates him and his emotional ability to connect with the world from, from the world itself until eventually I think he committed suicide. I don't know. I'd have to look it up, but you know, it's, it's a long-term depression thing and just a severing of ability to make ties with people. And that feels like what, Greg is going through here and you know I don't know sometimes it just feels that that is the way all things end which is a really depressing thought you need to find some happier music <laughs> if I do say so myself <laughs> hey man this is a classic I'm sure it is I I mean no I I think and again that, that's a life experience people have and it's uh there's something there's something there for sure I mean I, I think I do understand how people stay connected for decades. It's that you you grow and live together. Um, and even if you're not mm. growing and living together, if you're growing and living apart, then you have lots to catch up on when you see each other. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, I don't quite know how it works. You know, ask me in a couple, ask me again in a couple decades, but um, that's, that's my, that's currently how it's running for me anyway. Um, mm. But what's interesting and I love about this is like, and Grack isn't like encouraging them to leave. He he's he's here to visit because he told himself he would, and it's important. He's glad that they're all alive. But mm-hmm. he he's like, you guys can't go on like this. But I don't have a solution for you. But he he is helping the people who do want to leave, right? Yeah. And it it's funny because he wrote a book about like his adventures, and he's you know obviously a badass hero who helped bring about the utopias. And okay, so so he he is the author of a book, I guess he didn't actually write the book. Oh, right. Well, so he it is the he, book that he would have written if he wrote a book, but the authority wrote it for him. Just like if uh, Raven pressed the button that let her skip to her emotional closure and sort of did it. Like, yeah, she didn't, she didn't grow. She, she, uh, she is now the person who grew. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and like, he didn't even have the memories of writing the book implanted. Right. He, he actually had to read the book himself. Isn't that weird? Yeah. He perfectly embodies the, like people want to have written a book, not to write a book. Exactly. Uh, but what I love about it is that it's, it's, you know, inspiring people to live their own lives or whatever, including dwarves. And so controversially, Grack is encouraging the genocide of the dwarves. 
<laughs> well, not, not the genocide of the dwarves, just the genocide of their way of life. Of everything it means to be a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, poor Grack. He was supposed to bring balance to the dwarves, not genocide them. I love it so much because, I mean, it it's funny, but it's also heavy, you know? It's mm-hmm. it's serious, but it's like... but. <laughs> When June pr- proposed the idea, is like, well, I, June, you know, June didn't phrase it in the way of like I, I would, you know, kill them all. But he's like, no, I would just change everything about their lives and who they are and make them happier in other ways. Like, I <laughs> right. controversially, I'm against the genocide of the dwarves, and here he is, <laughs> you know, helping them genocide themselves. <laughs> well, oh, dear. oh man, Greg, what are you that, gonna do? That, that's a that's a damn good catch. <laughs> I did not catch that. Oh, I'm glad I could I could uh, bring it up then. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, and then Grack brings up, you know, that passage of time sucks because it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, thinking about this as a person who like now owns a home in an area and really likes the area and doesn't want it to change much. I realize that comes at the expense of everybody else who would like to live here. And the, considering how many people want to move in into the Denver and Denver area, like, there should be tons of construction happening here. The place should be getting a lot more dense. And I think that would make me less happy and I would like have to move further out. Um, but it's like, I, I don't know what to do with that. Like the, the established people in an area and the newcomers, including the next generation, like even the, the kids that are li- living in this area right now, but won't have homes once they grow up, like they, they just, it's a straight up struggle of a conflict of interest as far as I can tell. And I don't know if there's any way for it to resolve aside from, you know, trying to negotiate and trying to have a, a power struggle. And I think that sucks. And I don't know if maybe I'm just looking at things wrong, but like things changing sucks and the passage of time sucks. Faster, safer cars will solve part of the problem. Yes, but. I mean, because you're, you're right. Like, if if uh, if in like, because I've I, I've seen your your neighborhood. There isn't room to build more houses in that spot, right? So, like, you know, if some of those houses have kids, there just simply isn't room for them to grow up and move all move into that neighborhood. So they right. have to go somewhere else. But if they all want to stay, then it's like, all right, look, you you can't live here. You can live a few streets over, and you can just drive here every day, right? Well, you can tear down some buildings and build, you know, denser living here. Yeah, but then they would they they might not want to live there, you know. They want to live there like where it is now, like right. and, as and, it is now. And that's just and not it possible. Changes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it changes things. Like like Grax's dad says, it's, you know, reinvention. That things change. It's not not the what you wanted, what you had. All are destruction in their own way. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting. I I read your blog post on um uh like kind of in defense of HOAs. Um mm. And it makes a compelling argument. You know, look, we we want to, like, whatever. We like not having trash in the parking lot and, uh, you know, whatever other random shit, right? So yeah. we're going to enforce that as a rule, as a community, and then we won't have trash in the parking lot. You know, if you like throwing your trash outside, uh, go move somewhere that, that doesn't have a rule against it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like all that. It's So I, I'm trying not to get too deep into the weeds on that while thinking about this, but that's what keeps coming to mind. Um yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a uh, like an eternal struggle that has to be that way. I think this this can be solved by you know making pl- so like let's let's take the kids example. You know, we'll make a cooler place that they want to live instead, and your place will be still the same because you like it that way. You know. Yeah. They're like, fine. I'll go make my own. You know, townhome complex with blackjack and hookers. 
<laughs> exactly. Then then they can be off having their best life. And you're like, good, I, I don't like blackjack, so it works out yeah. great. Right. <laughs> uh, maybe if you could make all the humans much smaller. That's an option too. I haven't seen that movie. Uh, Which movie? Uh it's Matt Damon, I think. Uh let's see. Is it Downsizing? Huh, I haven't heard of this movie. Google's so helpful. I just put Matt Damon miniature. Uh, <laughs> so the, the premise is, I guess you get paid some sum of money to be shrunk down to like half an inch tall. Oh, neat. So I should see this. It came out in 2017. I haven't seen the movie. I remember the trailer, though. So they would pay me money to be shrunk down that small? Yeah. God damn, that's a deal. I mean, yeah. I think that there, there I haven't seen the movie, but I imagine there's trade-offs. Like you could never climb a real mountain. Uh, you could climb the oh, well, Lego yeah. plastic ones they make that, or maybe they look like real mountains, but they're, and they're proportionally sized, but you know, like all, all the physics stuff would be different, right? Is there like, I, I'm a, well, maybe this is a wrong assumption, but I assumed that there would be like communities of like small houses and small chairs and lots of other small things so that you wouldn't just be stuck in a world where you can't move your chair because it's the size of a mountain to you. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think, uh, it, I think there's like a whole city that is probably legally for legal reasons, not called Smallville um, mm. where they live. Uh, so yeah, no, there's a community and stuff. I need, all right, I'll just watch this. I'll find it. It's called downsizing. Yeah, came out in 2017 and I just saw it as Christoph Waltz in it. He played uh, the, the Nazi guy on inglorious bastards. There were many Nazi guys, weren't there? Yeah. The, I, I don't, the, the Jew, the hunter. really evil one. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. He was, he was a sinisterly awesome bad guy. Um, yes, he was. And, uh, he's just got the, he's got a very cool energy. He also hosted SNL once. It was hilarious. Um, oh, cool. All right. So I, the whole thing with the crack and his dad and stuff is, it's just really fun seeing how a lifestyle cause, and this was brought up the whole story. We should have seen this coming. Um, mm-hmm. but I sure didn't, I didn't even think about the dwarves, uh, but their whole thing is tradition. Yeah. And so it's like, no, sorry, we're, uh, we're, we're doing away with all that. Cause it sucks. And so I mean, June's heaven is, it. yeah, June's heaven is literally everyone who likes tradition can go get fucked. This is not the utopia for you. Yeah. I mean, you can stick around and you'll just be the only one left in your dwarf stronghold. Right. But, but it's hard. It's hard to think of a solution, you know, like there isn't one. That's, yeah. that's I'm like, everything is conflict. That kind of sucks. If everything was going to be conflict, then I mean, I guess it's better that there's less violent conflict and just social conflict now that that's definitely an improvement i for like the first few years after i learned about them i was uncertain how i felt about uh like amish communities Mm. and you know the ones that like play it strict and like no you can't get medicine um you know sorry 11 year old you're gonna die i'm super against those yeah i i finally figured out where i land on that and that that is so yeah sorry your traditions are going out the window but fuck that Mm. anyway um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it it just that's that's how I'm feeling with Grack and his dad and stuff too. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it's tough, but you know, it sucks to suck. Uh, enjoy I the mean, new world, you know. Yeah, you can't hold people with uh with f- force. So if they want to leave, like make a make a place that's better that people want to stay, maybe. And you could probably find enough traditionalist dwarves to start a new, uh, a new dwarf hold of just traditionalist dwarves that want to hold to the old ways. And I think. Honestly, that's what they should do. And I mean, it'll be a change. They will have to become friends with new dwarves from different parts of Arabs, but they could have a whole stronghold, I'm sure. What's funny is like, I imagine that would work for a while. 
until some more of them were like, I wonder about this cool utopia people are talking about. And like they, their numbers keep dwindling, you know? If their numbers get small enough, they might eventually hit a uh, homeostasis point where the people that leave every few decades uh, are replaced by dwarfs from the outside who are like, you know what? I- I'm sick of this newfangled life. I wonder what it would be like to go back to tradition for a couple decades. And they would just have to, the one change that these communities have to make is like being more welcoming of, of new people. Yeah. Uh, what's funny is they probably wouldn't be allowed to have kids. Yep. Because yep. these, these kids wouldn't thrive here. Yeah. Man. Uh, you know, they'd probably have a tradition, like a whole religious ritual to uh, welcome in newcomers where they have to, you know, discard their old worldly possessions, maybe even change their name. Kind of like, you know, when you convert to a religion, they often require you to change your name like that. It could be a whole thing. Oh, man. Now I'm excited about this traditional dwarf hold that's going to be made and how they're... Damn it, Alexander Wales, <laughs> your world-building bug has gotten into my blood and I want to see this thing brought to life now. Better late than never. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I always liked his world-building stuff. Isn't it great? It is. There, it's so, like, every... It seems like every couple of, uh, a couple of chapters, there's something like this you can dive into. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so the person that Grack was going to be uh, betrothed to comes around uh, late in the night and asks him how long it hurt after he left. And uh, Grack says it still hurts in its own way. And the, his mate asks him, or his to-be mate asks him, uh, why do you keep it? And Grack says, I value the connection, even if it's a small source of pain. And I'm pretty sure we've said something like this before during the soul edit chapters, but I, again, I think it's a good observation that as long as he values what he can't have, it'll always hurt a bit. And removing that hurt would necessarily require the reducing of the valuing of that thing, uh, his value on it. So he either has to change himself to not value that thing or he has to accept a bit of hurt all the time. And, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. And he'd have to change who he is, you know? Yeah. Um, if, if he became a person who didn't care about home enough to, to care about it, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a phrase that I heard Paul Bloom, the Yale psychologist quote once he's quoting another psychologist, whose name I can't remember. And I think it was about mourning or grief or something, but it fits here. It was, it hurts as much as it mattered. Mm. And I don't, I don't know if a hundred percent agree with that, but I like the line. Um, yeah. and, uh, it, it just brought that to mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, I think that that sort of, you know, sometimes I think with crack, it's less bittersweet and more just bitter, but, um, <laughs> you know, having some of those things in your whatever to reflect on is nice, you know, yeah. uh, it, it gives you some, some, I don't know if I want to say flaws in your personality, but like having some deeper structure with cracks and faults in it is more interesting than just being a pure, perfect crystal, right? Yeah. I mean, if you don't have any baggage, how are you going to carry around all your stuff? Like <laughs> exactly. I, I sure, you know, it it's it's cumbersome or whatever, but it's maybe part of what makes you interesting, you know? Yeah. If all you can carry is what you have in your pockets, then you know, you're you're pretty quick to get to know. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, oh no, I've got a whole airport's worth of luggage or you know, baggage to dig through, then we can spend a long time getting to know people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a limit to how much baggage you actually want, but Yeah, not an airport's think... worth. Couple couple yeah, suitcases. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Plus or minus one during times of crisis. Um, <laughs> right. All right. So he, Grack is, uh, he's off living his best life. Um, mm. He's just basically hits up his, his grinder. Uh, uh, well, he, whatever. Janet's pose, you know, functioning as his grinder app. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, who do you want to fuck tonight? And it's like, oh, uh, someone who will take a dwarf. And it's like, you got it. <laughs> this like dragon dude shows up um, mm-hmm. and uh, they bang it out. And then the guy, uh, the dragon dude is like a mix of four different races and two different sexes. And so it's kind of fun to finally get like, it's it's interesting and it fits well with Grack because Grack is like technically non-gendered, uh, but he looks like a dude. Yeah. And, ident- and identifies as one basically. Um, mm-hmm. But I just love this. Uh, I can't remember the exact setup, but it doesn't actually matter. Um, like something about, uh, anyway, so it says he lifted up Granik's hand to his mouth and kissed it. And he's just like, yeah, fuck him. I wish him the best. Um, <laughs> I think it was something about the haters. Like, uh, he says, yeah, the people oh, who yeah. are prejudiced against is this is your stuff, right? So fuck him if they have a problem with who you choose to be, I guess. And he's like, yeah, fuck him. I wish him the best. <laughs> and I'm like, that is that is the best attitude to have. You know, no, man, fuck the haters. I hope they're I hope they're doing well, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that is probably the the like the the a core ingredient in a happy life. Absolutely. Like you don't want to just hate them and hope they're suffering because you can't really thrive there. Right. Yeah. Nope. I hope they're having a good day, but yeah, fuck their opinions. All right. Yeah. Ah, Grack is awesome. Yeah, he nailed it. Um, yeah. Oh, all right. So I don't know if this was before or after. I might have jumped to the end, but uh, you you grabbed a line here that's worth worth asking about. Yeah, I think this is after because yeah, you know they had sex, they had the conversation, and they're like, "Hey, you want to have more sex?" Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> Lannick asks, "Are you one of those people who thinks that having sex all day is just wireheading with extra steps?" And I think that's a good question. Do you think that's just why I'm heading with extra steps? I mean, it sounds like it, you know, Greg, he says, no, I limit myself to six hours a day. Yeah. Six hours. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I'm kind of with Greg here for, for two reasons. Uh, I guess one, because when, when I was a wee young lad, I once had a day that was basically just sex and naps and food and more sex. And it was one of the best days ever. <laughs> And also because, like, you know, if you get some LSD going and some Viagra going at the same time, you can, like, screw around for three, four hours. And it's it's really fun. I, I think, like, I think the main difference is that sex is not just wireheading because you have another person there that you're doing it with. And it it changes. The, the stimuli, like, changes from time to time. I don't think... I don't think it's just wireheading. It, it's, it's more complicated and in-depth and i mean if it was just sex all day long then yeah sure okay yes that is wireheading but i think six hours a day is could be reasonable yeah no i think that makes sense i mean he it's it's time to like still enjoy other things visit with friends you know like reflect on how good the sex was um yeah if, if you're like, constantly just rolling and and enjoying it then it's like all right that that is just wireheading um yeah you need some yeah. downtime even just to appreciate it Right, absolutely. And 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 now we can just really zoom out and squint and say, well, look, if that also just makes you even more happy, then isn't that just wireheading with like an additional step, which takes some time off from the sex? And in that case, sure, but it's the best kind of wireheading, right? At that point, you're really stretching the definition of wireheading. Yeah, if wireheading is if just going to wire- be living your best life and being as happy as you can be <laughs> without being constantly right. on drugs, then yes. <laughs> yes, if wireheading is forming relationships with people and having conversations and reminiscing and then having sex and then 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 that's not wireheading. That's just a good life. Hell yeah, yeah. I I I think I've definitely played video games for more than six hours in a sitting before. Oh yeah, same. Yeah. I rarely feel good afterwards, but 
That's true. But that's probably just because, you know, my stupid meat suit gets uncomfortable sitting for so long. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, okay. I'm, I'm glad we settled it. That if it was just sex all the time, it would be wireheading. But yep, no, changing I, I things think, up. I think we settled it great. I love the answer. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, the last thing is that uh, they ask at the end. Oh, I love, I love that uh, Atlantic, Atlantic's uh, request to the Janices was, uh, I, I want to be with someone who I can help with my penis. <laughs> like that was, that was just fantastic and heartwarming. And I, I feel so happy about Lannick. Anyways, uh, they, they end on the question. Do you think the assistant set us up? Like this was meant to be more. And I love that Grack gets true love for his happy ending. It's, it's just so perfect. Yeah. He says, I don't know about that. Whatever the assistants, whatever the assistants intended, we're free to make our own path. And I love that. Um, mm-hmm. That that's, you know, Sure, it's predestination or whatever, but fuck it, we're making this decision, right? Yeah. Who cares if the company picked us because we're the most genetically compatible or the most compatible, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's like no, we're we're still deciding, and uh, I didn't even think about that. This might be a long term thing. I thought they might just be having a fun afternoon, but you're right. Like they're they're connecting. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, this is great. Best happy ending. I love it. Me they're, too. They're all getting great endings, and we don't know if it's the best happy ending because there's still three chapters left. Are we doing all three? We're doing all three for the uh, for the rest here. All right, man. And uh, I guess, I mean, even though it's just read to the end of the novel, I'll still read off the chapter names. The next three chapters for next week is 252, The Narrator, The Angel, and The Devil. <laughs> no, no, Two, no prizes there for guessing. Right. 253, Multitudes. And 254, Nevermore. Huh. I don't know what those could be. Um, I... I'm, if I had to guess, it's got to be multitudes will be the Bethel chapter if we're getting one, because hmm. I, I don't know why we would get her last. And she contains multitudes. I think I even met, we mentioned that before. So yeah. that fits. But I hope we get a Bethel chapter. I want to see how she's doing. Yeah. That's my last want for the book. And you predicted or at least tossed at the idea that the book wouldn't leave me wanting more. So we're getting hmm. a Bethel, Bethel, some Bethel closure. Hmm. All right, man. Well, this is fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. Uh Thank you for joining me again. Uh, I thank well, you, dude. Way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and thank you, to, uh, thank did, you to everybody for listening and all that stuff too. Hell yes! Uh, as always, you can support Alexander Wales on his Patreon. You can and should buy his uh, book or audiobook at Amazon or wherever. And you can and should support us on our Patreon. Uh, the links for all those are in our show notes. Yep. And if you're discovering this after the fact, uh, you know. There's the basic conspiracy to uh, Patreon if you're really good to throw money at us, but you know, don't sweat it <laughs> if you come maybe across this could, in a year. Uh, maybe we could like just set up some sort of like, hey, you can buy this NFT saying you guys are great sort of thing. Yeah, just like a PayPal wallet. Um, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll look into that. Uh, yeah. Seems like a smart idea for like stuff that you leave on after it's done. But you know, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's worth looking into. We know it would have been smarter is thinking of this a year and a half ago and putting it in the bottom of all the episode descriptions and mentioning that it exists. So it's people don't have to listen to that smart. people don't have to listen to the last episode ever to, or second to last episode to have the idea. Well, maybe maybe if we invent time travel, we can do this. And then it'll always have been that way. Exactly. All right, perfect. <laughs> Which must mean we didn't invent time travel. Damn it. You know you know that that uh the when Stephen Hawking threw that party for time travelers? I did not know that that was a thing he did. Yeah, at least he says he did in uh, one of his like TV documentaries. Um, 
actually, I remember this. It was narrated by Benedict Cumberbatch before he became popular. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so he he didn't send out invitations until it was done. Oh, okay. And I, I think that, you know, I don't know if he actually like went to a party with food or not. I hope he did. And it was I just mean, him. If he was, was going to do that, he'd have to make it attractive to time travelers. Have like interesting people of the present day and catered food and Stephen lots of Hawking drugs. was there. Well, that's one guy. They, not all the time travelers in the world can talk to just Stephen Hawking. I mean, I guess technically they could. They're time travelers. But, you know, if it's going to be a party, have some more people, you know, have some hot chicks, have some drugs. I don't know. Great music, live band. Well, no one took him up on you, you it. Gotta, so. You got to pull in the time traveler somehow, you know? Yeah. You can't just say show up at the Denny's on this corner. That's a good point. Maybe there's next time do it with a million dollar prize. Ooh, well, million dollars may not be worth much of anything to a time traveler. We'll have to think about it. If anyone's a time traveler, let us know how to attract you to come to our party. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, big All shout right. out again to Alexander Wales. Thanks for uh, giving us some more fuzzies as we wrap up the book. This is great. Hell yeah. Cool. All right. See you guys back next week. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.